0: Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured, for better and sometimes worse, across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast.
1: Nick, how are you brother? Yeah, I'm really good Chris, how are you doing mate?
0: Yeah, firing mate, I'm going to take my glasses off, I won't be able to see anything for about <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Former SAS, uh, been a friend of mine, folks, now for four years now, mate, haven't we? Something quite quite a while.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's gone on a little while.
0: Welcome to the show. How's how's life with you?
1: Yeah, it's really good, Chris. Yeah, um, I'm just uh, obviously I'm I'm working on my uh, business Trident Adventure and uh that's what i do myself now with just um taking people away on getting them to do things they wouldn't ordinarily do by themselves you know getting them connected and um getting them sort of pushing their uh comfort zones if you like and um, you know apart from doing recce and uh planning trips and uh, delivering trips you know i'm just uh i'm living my best life you know living the truth
0: I think for veterans, you just got to try not to drink yourself to death in in in, uh, in that middle bit, you know.
1: When I sort of grew up and the culture I sort of grew into was was very much a heavily drinking culture, and I think that things have changed, which is which is a good thing, you know. And I think with the kids now with phones and stuff, uh, you know, you can only uh, imagine if some of the things that we got up to if it's caught on a. Uh, on a TikTok clip or whatever it was, uh, it'd, be, it'd be horrified, wouldn't you? Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, the kids, you got to be careful, are not they, these days?
1: We see that a lot, you know, and, uh, you know, that hasn't changed. Uh, the type of bullying might have changed, you know, it didn't change from when, you know, we were kids or, you know, going back a few years. In this, this day and age, it has changed. And yeah. uh, I do think, like all things, you just need to get the balance right in terms of, you know, as you said, using the internet and stuff like that. But um
0: for the benefit of our friends at home, which SAS unit did you serve with?
1: Yeah, so, so I was in um, 2-1, which is uh, a reserve uh, element of uh, the Special Forces Group. I'm really grateful to have had that experience. You know, it came at... um you know, you get these uh, opportunities in life. Uh, you've got to listen to these good sort of impulses and and sort of take these opportunities because they don't they don't come along that often. And um, you know, you you just take that opportunity and go for it, which is exactly what I did. And it came out of a particularly challenging time, in, you know, previous to that, which we'll probably get on to. Um, but you know, it doesn't define me. You know that. You know, two one and uh, two three. They're they're known as tier two level uh, special forces units. So you know, it's the same cat badge, but a different uh, capability than the regular component. And that's worth making a clear distinction. Really, I mean, really good blokes. Uh, don't get me wrong. Some some top blokes and. Um, it's just a fantastic network of people. I mean, they're, you know, they've got day jobs. They're, they're kind of, uh, you know, we had barristers. We had all sorts, um, you know, right across the whole spectrum. And people going off skiing across the poles, you know, to the poles. And they're, they're uh, you know, they're sort of rowing across the Atlantic, doing, doing, you know, getting to the top of Everest. And, um you know, it's just a fantastic network of people and quite a unique um, sort of organisation to be involved in. The, the opportunities that you've got, the training opportunities, the operational tempo when I joined really sort of kicked on, really, which is, which is, uh, you know, I got based in 2000, left in, in 2000 and 2008. So, um, yeah, it was just. It was just a great experience all around um demanding but um you know demanding in terms of family life and uh your career and eventually that's kind of where, where i left i mean i was i was old uh in in relative terms when i when i got got in at 35 and um you know i'd, I'd uh, had a had a overseas uh, deployment and um, and wife was sort of six months pregnant and these, these kind of impacts, you know, going away and leaving young kids is tough, you know, especially when actually you have got a choice. Every
0: military child we've had on the podcast all feel the need to introduce themselves as a military brat. Yeah,
1: yeah. They
0: see the level of indoctrination there into a poor child that that is their psyche, their mindset, is I'm an inferior person because of the experience that my parents put me through, which is... Ah, sorry, I'm getting on one a bit, but... Yeah, well, Chris,
1: I mean, that's a slightly different um, sort of demographic. When you're talking about a reservist, you know, I've got a day job and then I'm disappearing, you know, I'm hmm. going off. You know, I think when blokes particularly, you know, we're quite selfish individuals, you know, um until we get married, until we start a family. And then the sort of penny drops about, you know, your real responsibilities. What are your real responsibilities in life? And um, you know, we want to go for these things because of lots of different reasons. But we we're wanting to push ourselves. That's that's you know, we wanted to find our limits. That that's been my defining thing is about pushing, you know, pushing either society in some ways or my mental my physical capabilities and I and I know what my limits are I've hit my physical limit I've hit my mental limit um you know and now I've punched through to the other side of it and in terms of your responsibility when you've got a young family that penny eventually does drop and thankfully you know as somebody I had the choice then that I could leave you know mm. and uh i mean you do in in the, in the military in the regular army i've been a regular soldier i know what that's like and um um obviously the longer you get in, the more you're tied into to to a sort of pension and all that kind of caper and i think that's you know getting back to your point about military uh brats as you call them it's that's when you're you're getting bounced around the world and every couple of years You know, you're going to a new school, new start, you know, or you're going to boarded school if you're, you know, in in that in that sort of realm. And these impacts do have uh, they do do have a consequence. And, um, you know, for me, uh, my my uh, both my kids fairly young when I decided to leave. And the reason I left was because of that, you know, it's because of that. I didn't want to, you know, I, I realized how how kind of selfish I was being. And the fact that I was always, wherever I was, I should have been somewhere else. You know, I should have, when I was with a unit, I should have been at work, I should have been with family. It just went round and round. And, well, uh,
0: I I got, I can chip in here, Nick, because, you know, we've been discussing Everest, haven't we? That's right, yeah. As a, as a possible goal for, for 2026. Next year, we're rowing the Atlantic, right? Or me and three, three military buddies, we're going to row the Atlantic. But here's the thing, as a parent, I think you've still got to have a bit of your life. How much is your life, and how much are you actually thinking about your child? And and you know you have to put some thought into those things because, like you say, I don't just think it's the nature of servicemen. I think it's probably the nature, certainly well, in. A... I,
1: I jump in, Chris, because uh, I mean, there's some really good example. It just happened literally a couple of days ago. So I had a call. You know, could I could I um jump on a trip to uh, part of east uh, east southern Africa, you know, for three weeks. And it was last minute, it was like, you know, I mean my kit's packed like yours, it's packed ready to go, do you know what I mean? Can I go? And this was Wednesday, uh, which which obviously today I'd be jumping on a plane now for, for disappear for three weeks. But you know, my day Diary is fairly clear because I wanted to keep this sort of period of time free. So, so I could have gone, but we got a family diary, right? And um it's a relatively new thing. But we just because my kids are all back you know back from uni now, or you know just finished A levels and stuff. It's it's we identify days where we're all free, right? We're all clear, and then we go off. We had a great day. We had a day playing down to the beach yesterday. I had a fantastic day. You know, I'm out paddle boarding, you know, two, three miles offshore. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound a lot, but I, you know, gave up, I suppose. I would have given that up, you know, for three weeks in Africa to to do some work. And, um, you know, part of me, the reason I'm saying it's part of me, part of the ego was going, yeah, fuck it, you know, I'm off. Yeah, i love africa you know who doesn't it's such a beautiful country people are beautiful you know you got it's just it's i had some mega times in africa on expeditions and um you know the chance to go back there get your feet in the soil you know see the game and um, and do that work it you know i i said you know I'm, i'm i'm available i could i could do it and then i'm you know then i remembered this commitment this family day this beach day i said look i can't go you know i'm not going that's it and, and the fact is i you've got to listen to the right voice right because there's something like like getting back to your everest thing you get these ideas in your head they're hardwired sort of ideas about you know we have them about going to everest You know, this dream as a young kid you might have had and um you know, you—it's you, just the the sort of the romance, the challenge, the sort of top of the world, this this kind of thing—and then you balance it out against against this selfish, sort of egotistical type of perspective, which is which is why do you actually want to do that, and what's the consequence of your actions of doing that? Because you know, time moves on, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? And uh, the ideas you had back then are, are, are might not be relevant now, but they're so hardwired in, and we see this every day. You know, you see this in some of your sort of unconscious decisions, your sort of um, your automatic thinking, which is which has been hardwired from you know previous experience, and you just react in a certain way. Like, um, but it's not actually it's not actually coming from you know your your sort of true authentic self your the the moment that you're living in right now actually do do i want to you know risk because you'll be risking your life you know to do that anybody does does do that mountain is risking their life Mm. you know well that was
0: that was the thing that the rowing i'm not too bothered about even though it's actually quite a long time away from your family it's anything up to 60 days in fact some people take even longer right Mm. um but like I say, you still got to live a bit, and the thing is, Nick, it's st- statistically very safe. Um, I don't want to go and jinx. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I don't want to okay. jinx anything by getting, put, putting numbers to it. But statistically, you know, it, it, it's if you do it at the right time of year, it, 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 it's you, you know, you are going to be okay. Whereas my little lad went into school the other day, and they do a show and tell every week, where one of the kids in the class gets up and. You know, I don't know why, but this kid decided to do his on Everest. And he said, yeah, and of course, up there, there's all these dead bodies because most people don't make it back down. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) My son had a bit of a wobble in the car on, you know, because obviously that's something you, you, I don't, I don't even know if I would broach that subject before I, before I went. I, I mean, I.
1: Think, I mean, I think the point is, is that you, you, you're making, you're aware of consequences. You're making conscious decisions, and, um, you know, and you're you're doing what's what you think is right for. for well, you. I I,
0: right? I I don't know if it's right, Nick. You know, um, I mean, I haven't really. I don't know how possible it is to think something like this through. Like I say, the rowing, I'm not bothered about. That's. Yeah. It, to me it's more dangerous cycling on the road on a bicycle in fact yeah, yeah. to be honest I think cycling on a British road uh with all the lack of attention now and the atrocious driving is probably way more dangerous than climbing Everest um statistically I suppose someone yeah. could could disagree there but that one I'm I'm gonna have to you know, I never would want to deprive my son of a father. Uh, on the other hand, I wouldn't intend to go up there and not come back down. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't set out. I'm too old to fail things now, Nick. You know, I've done. Well, well we've done all that, haven't we? We've done all that yeah. in the past. So let's so just.
1: Um, I think you have. uh You must be a bit like me and you think you can get yourself out of trouble as quick as you go into it. And you've got this sort of survival instinct, you know.
0: Yeah, I just I'm I'm not going to go into something if I've got if my sixth sense, which in this case would be my stomach, is telling me something's not quite right, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
0: um, because I've done that before with things and they didn't turn out, you know they didn't turn out well, which is fine when you're younger because it's all part of the learning curve. But if they don't turn out well on Everest, that is game over, isn't it?
1: Yeah. But the point is really, I suppose, is that, um, you know, 2026, we kind of talked about, okay, let's uh, let's go on this Everest journey. And um, that's what adventure is. Adventure is the journey, isn't it? So, you know, there's a number of things that we're going to have to do prior to sort of set foot put on that mountain, which would be going to the Himalayas, doing a 6,000 metre, um, 7,000 metre, you know, doing some other challenges, doing some other training. And, you know, you're talking about from where you are now, that's, that's a three-year journey, right? So think of those experiences, you know, you can still consider the fact, are we actually going to do it, you know, but... The point is adventure starts, you know, when things starts to go wrong, you know, that's actually when adventure is, when everything goes to plan, it's not much of an adventure, is it? And, um, you know, you just, just go, just go with it, go with that sort of, listen to that good impulse, you know, listen to that sort of, uh, voice that's in you and thought, yeah, let's go for this stuff. And, um,
0: well, I remember when, um, um, Middleton made his summit and, um, did a sort of little guerrilla expedition, didn't he? Or he did a, you know, he had one, just employed a Sherpa basically to, to walk up there and, and then get him up the mountain or, you know, the, get each other up the mountain, I should say. So I'd that sounded a bit rude. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was like, you know, I like Andy. I think he's a nice guy. I was kind of full of uh, respect uh, that he achieved a dream that, that's, you know, just that is a dream for me, but he did say that he spent a bit too long on the summit. Got, he got a bit sort of carried away with it all. And when he turned around to come back down, he was at the back of the queue. Yeah. And it really was like log jam. He, he was, I I mean, obviously you're running out of air at that point and you're getting closer to hypothermic. Um, and, of course, he had, what, I think three or four kids by by this stage. You know, it's um, – ah, sorry. Yeah, Sam.
1: He, he, started, he was definitely starting to go down. I do remember that. And um, uh, I think he probably had a bit of a wobble with himself. And these things come along, they, they happen to us, and we, we keep ourselves in check a bit because we're like – you know, it certainly happened to me on a number of different occasions when, um, you know, you've pushed things or you've done things and you thought, actually, you know, I was very close to death then. And it's, um, you know, it's happened a few times um, uh, on adventures. <laughs> mm. I can remember that.
0: Mate, I want to get up there. None of this, like, sitting around for 40 minutes taking in the sightseeing. So I want to go, right, done it. Come on, let's get back down. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah, that bad? Sure.
1: That's
0: it. That's you true. know. That's it. Uh, so let's go back to the SAS. Then um, I guess the difference between two one SAS and two two is that two two have mastered the art of the double punch, whereas two one are still doing all the Bruce Lee shit, right? Am I in the?
1: You, you, you could, you could certainly frame it in that way, Chris. Yeah. So
0: basically, I could join, couldn't I, with the knowledge that I have now?
1: I think. Are you a bit of a ninja, aren't
0: you? <laughs> I'm a ninja at getting out of stuff, mate. <laughs> Anything I don't, I don't want to do. Why do you think I've got a podcast? <laughs> I don't want to work for a living. <laughs> yes, but um, did you um? I'm always trying to like stitch the journey together for people because you hear all about this PTSD, and the public have been conned into thinking it's like you only get it in battle. You yeah. got, to, you know, I get civilians apologize to me because mm. they didn't get their trauma like in conflict, like I did. And I'm like, I didn't get mine in conflict. I, I like most veterans I know, we were extremely damaged as, as kids. And yeah. we then we then you know carried that into the, the forces was was that a similar story with you, Nick. Did you have a challenging childhood?
1: Yeah, I mean absolutely. Um and just your point about PTSD and stuff, and um you know, I think you keep it simple, you know, you could take half of it away, just call it traumatic stress, and that's it. You know, it's not it's not um the military or the, the rescue services don't own it. It's um you know, it is just traumatic stress and you know, this combat related, this complex. And essentially it presents in a, in a similar fashion in terms of, you know, severe anxiety, depression and um and uh, recurring kind of thoughts and, and um triggers and stuff like that. And um yeah, getting back to getting back to childhood. I I'd agree. I mean, um you know, you think of most blokes that go into certainly into the infantry. I mean, I, I joined the engineers. You know, and um, you know, but most blokes from from the interim are, are you know council state kids and all that goes with that. That kind of um, that kind of upbringing. I mean, for me, you know, I lived in, in a good town. In, in you know, I lived in Guildford, born in Guildford, lovely family, um, and but, you know, Guildford's not too far from Walchot, which is the home of the British Army at the time. I was fascinated by the military. uh, My granddad was in, you know, First World War. The uncle was a pilot. Um, And, um, you know, that's where I grew up. Great family, you know, proud heritage, North London. And, um, you know, but things, you know, things didn't kind of go smoothly, put it like that. I mean, um, you know, I grew up in, in the 70s and uh probably like you we're sort of always out you know there's enough we're always out when we always up you know playing around the streets and stuff like that um uh there was no there was no telly there was no none of this kind of stuff really for us was there so we, we just made our own fun and i think the weekends uh you know you could you could stay out even later and um you know i just just remember one obviously uh, particular night we were out we were out playing as kids and um you know we heard this explosion go off and it was you know sort of i think october seventy four, and um uh, it was a cold sort of dark sort of sad evening and we'd heard this kind of uh explosion but we, you know you know what an explosion is even even as a 10 year old you know and uh where we lived on this hill just above the town center and ran towards this noise because you know we're kids, we're thinking what well, we're gonna be heroes we're we're gonna be the first ones there. we can save you know, because that's all we used to watch and uh idolize these magazines and these comic books and stuff and um we ran towards this um we ran towards this explosion, and a few minutes later we're we're getting a lot closer to it and now I don't know, a couple of hundred meters away another one another explosion goes off and um there's just this kind of silence this. Do you get um after after an explosion? Uh, you know, you, all the dust has settled and all the rest of it. And um, I just remember, you know, all these screams. It's all these women screaming because um, you know, the um the IRA bombed uh, you know, Guildford's two pubs. And my best mate, you know, his his brother was um out in town that night, and he used to drink in in the uh, Seven Stars and and the Horse and Groom, and so. You know, um I don't know how much that really affected me. You know, I thought about it later in life. At the time it doesn't be, really, you know, people are starting making a fuss about you I'll get you know um you know, get back indoors, see my dad, he was like, get indoors and stuff and um you know, it was it's certainly a significant event, you know. and um, how much it affected me at the time I don't know. You did know, you
0: see but... did you see people being blown up or was it just that
1: uh, we you know we we got to uh sort of an alleyway just the other side of the pub sort of thing and there but this time there was a there was a copper there and he said that you know get away from here there's body parts down this uh down this alleyway but i think it's more more the um you know hearing them sort of screams really um was uh not pleasant you know but um these things they kind of everything sort of registers doesn't it and um uh like i say didn't dwell too much of it i don't think as, as a sort of 10 year old you just sort of shrug it off you've got no you've got kind of got no measure have you and um but i do remember that you know everybody around me my mum and dad was certainly my mum being really really upset about it and um you know um it was quite a significant thing for the town really mm. um, as you can imagine. But following on from that, you know, within a short space of time, within um, you know, two, three years, I'd lost, uh, you know, every sort of male role model in the family. Like, say, my, my granddad, my dad and my uncle all passed away fairly suddenly. And I'll tell you, that was, you know, losing my dad really as a 12-year-old was was probably the most significant um thing is it
0: as a young person can't imagine it mm. can't imagine it just going back to the bombings thing I, I, I just think this has to be said especially in light of the last 20 years but you know you had the bombings in guildford and also birmingham wasn't it
1: yeah
0: that's th- but they had to frame innocent people to take the rap you yeah. know the Guildford Four, Christ knows how long they spent. You know four innocent people. I think they've been over here on the ferry on a like a, a you know a sightseeing sort of trip. Um, I don't know. I might be getting me 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 incidents messed up. And then the was it the Birmingham Seven? These people did a lot of jail time. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm only mentioning it now, Nick, because I don't believe a single thing on the news and they're saying now more and more that it it was like you know mi6 or something that controlled the whole that whole conflict controlled the ira <laughs> well, so,
1: yeah i mean uh you know your lift ball lads have got an irish accent and that's it you know we got um you know the the they want to they want to kind of uh, put somebody in the in the frame for it don't they? and then that's and that's um you know that's how it is and mm. yeah i was always amazed that um we had contact you know with uh, the ira it's sort of like they had a hotline <laughs> what, what's the word about on, if you can if you can talk to these people why aren't you talking to them you know why aren't you kind of resolving it well you know i don't want to get too much into uh into that but mm. um yeah it just just seem all rather bizarre but you know that's that's uh, that's all in the past mate hopefully or thankfully um
0: is the um selection then so the the very famous selection training is that reserves is it uh, is it is for the regulars yeah. to,
1: well, to well the hills phase is is kind of mirrors it and it certainly does now um when I did it it was it's essentially um you know you you go at a slightly slower pace if you like it was i know three know, three and a half k's an hour regulars had to do four k an hour or it's three k's, k's an hour it kind of moved around really but um you know you you you're doing a build-up training um over a period of about six months but over weekends and over long weekends so um you don't know the ground as well and you've got to obviously maintain your fitness for a longer period of time and train yourself Um, and then essentially if you you know when you do the 2-1 element if you if you get to if you meet the markers and you you go down the test week and um, you join join the regular component or people trying to get into the regular component and um, you know you're down at sunny bridge and you're getting on the trucks at sort of four or five in the morning and driving out to uh the beacons and um somebody gives you a grid reference and off you go you know um and uh yeah i mean the hill's face we all tend to look back on with i say fondness but it's it's a it's a great it's a great period of time because you're you know you're at peak fitness you're with good people and you start off with you know lots and lots of people and then you know you end up and there's a handful of you you know and um you know over that time you forge some really good strong relationships you you try and have a a crack as best you can and um you know it's it's a it's you know it's a it's a great thing it's a Mm. great um great opportunity
0: and the resistance to interrogation is is that that that's a, yeah, bit, of a, yeah,
1: that's you a bit of a do that i mean that's not pleasant you know <laughs> um it's funny you know I we I, some sort of farmhouse um up in uh north north of the country and um cold stone floor and obviously you know you're going to get bumped you know you you do some camp attack and you know you're going to get bumped afterwards and um captured and uh Stuck into into a helicopter or into a back of a wagon somewhere and taken, you know, all all the stuff uh, that you can imagine. And then, um, you know, the, the brief we used to get wasn't that good actually. Back then, it wasn't that good. It was sort of, um, you know, sticking to you know the big four and you know you you know, you know it's it's been well documented. But um, I just had it in my head for some reason. <laughs> i got I got into this first one, and it was like uh you know they sort of stripped you down, you're sort of naked, and I do remember in the brief I'm saying, you know don't them 'em don't don't uh you know comply with them too much, you know because you're you're sort of for whatever reason it was, and, and because like at this stage you're like massively fatigued, do you know what I mean you're um been on the go and, uh, you know, you're not really eating, you're not really sleeping, and then you're sort of under that shock of capture, and then you get into this situation, and uh, you get stripped down and all the rest of it, and then it's like, I put on these sets of clothes, and I'm thinking, oh, I I just froze for some reason, I was like thinking, oh, yeah, I'm not meant to, (laughs) I'm trying to remember the brief, you know, I'm not meant to sort of comply. Anyway, I just, I didn't react. And this guy just got hold of me, slung me up against the wall by the folk, you know, pushed me up against the wall. And it's like, you know, just you fucking, you know, launch into me, bouncing me off every corner in this room and just slung me out. So I was like naked, you know. And uh, <laughs> so I'm in these sort of stress positions, you know, um, either sat cross-legged on the floor, uh, hands behind the head, sort of, um, you know, it, it's, it's crippling, sort of, um, you're there for hours and hours. And obviously you're around in a, well, you're round uh, in some room in a sort of fairly big, big circle. And it's like, I'm just sitting there trying to, you know, trying to keep myself together. And I can hear people getting dragged off, right? So you get, you get somebody else gets dragged off for interrogation and you're like, I was thinking... He's got fucking boots on. You know, and I'm so I'm sat on the on the cold sort of flagstone floor naked, right? I've been there for hours. I'm absolutely gibbering, going down, you know, and uh and I can hear all these people getting dragged off one at a time. And then I thought, I okay, guess another pair of boots. He's got he's got boots on. I thought, fuck, you know, they're all fucking dressed, and I'm sitting naked and uh in the end, like, fucking put some clothes on where it's like that was... <laughs> and uh yeah, luckily I got that uh, opportunity, got sort of <laughs> put my kit on. But I was uh, you know, I mean I remember DS afterwards like so fucking slapping me on the back going, You fucking idiot, We, <laughs> you Do you know what I mean? But um, uh, yeah, it's all fun and games, mate.
0: Wow. Yeah, my mate Nige was in two two, and he said, uh he was telling me about that phase and all the, you know, the baby noises and the, you know, the white noise and the stress positions. And, the, and he said at one, and at one point he needed a, a he needed a piss. I mean, I don't know how he managed. I don't know how long you're in there for. I don't know how long he'd had to wait for. A, I, I would imagine a lot of people. I, I would have thought you just pissed yourself, but he puts his finger up to the DS and the DS says, yeah, what? He says, I need a piss. And he said that the, the DS just grabbed him, dragged him out. And he thought, oh my God, this is, you know, I've, I've screwed up here and, uh, got him outside, ripped his, what was it Hessian sack over your head or balaclava or, you know, something you just ripped off his headgear and says, congratulations you've passed <laughs> so at the moment nice no, said he when they're dragging him out he thought i failed i failed i failed why why did i why did i why did i ask to go to the toilet um I, yeah, I'll well, you-
1: this, is, this is what's going in your head all the time you're thinking oh, i fucked up now i've sat there thinking you fucked up you know that's you you're gonna get seen off and um and then you know, like when you're at that bit, you're still thinking, "Oh, he's he's," um, you know, "I'm getting thinned out," and, and you still think, "Yeah," you know, <laughs> for a little while afterwards, you still think it's going on.
0: You know, I think the the Royal Marines MLs, the mountain leaders, do a, you know, their own version of of this yeah. phase. I, I might be wrong there, folks. It was a long time ago, but what I do remember is I was on guard duty. Uh, down at Stonehouse one night, and uh, I was two I C of the guard because I was uh, lance corporal, and I can't remember who was the guard commander. I can almost picture him in my head because the M L S course came in, and uh, a chap called Tony, who a lot of people will know the Tony I'm on about. He had a, he had a, a a brother in the corps who I served in Belfast with, um. Tony came in the guard room and he, looked, he said to the guard commander, he said, Right, don't put anything out over the tannoy. These guys, they're 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 blindfolded, they don't know where they are, you know. We want to keep it that way. So they was obviously in that, you know, that phase where they'd just been captured or whatever. And I don't know where they put these blokes, but obviously they kept must have kept their blindfolds on. And uh the guard commander forgot, didn't he? <laughs> The next thing, I can't remember what he put over the tannoy, but to hear it, you know, will so-and-so report to the guard, and at that point, all the all the guys on this course know that they're in Stonehouse Barracks. Yeah, <laughs> but... The next thing, the door flies open, and Tony comes in, all red faced. I thought I told you. <laughs> so, um, Nick, tell us the. He, he, tell us this thing
1: of uh, borrowing the yacht so essentially uh, i sort of joined the army in um in uh, the mid 80s in in um, the regular army and that that really that all came about because um you know i'd seen uh, I'd seen an expedition advertised operation rally and um you know i applied for it I got an application form uh, i should say and um went to fill it out and this three you know this uh, around the world expedition all i could got was my name and address i had literally I had nothing you know nothing as a, as a sort of kid and you know, you know so kind of, you know backtracking to what i said earlier i my behavior sort of fairly changed fairly dramatically as a sort of 14 year old after after those events and for other events i won't go into and um um you know, there was there was no kind of uh, there was no support or anything at school. Nobody they're just you just told you, you know, you're not going to amount to much and all the rest of it. And, um, and I just played out that reality. But essentially, I'd seen this uh, this expedition advertised. And uh, I filled out application form. Nothing. I had nothing I could put on there. And I was working on a building site. Guy just come out the engineers. He's showing me these photos of Kenya and Belize and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, "Okay, you want to get on the expedition? Join the army." And um, so I figured, you know, if I I knew that John Bashford's now as a colonel in the army, and he's um, he's actually leading the expedition. So I joined the engineers. Um, Very fortunate to get in, I guess, with um, with what I had to offer. Not a great deal at that time. And um, um, and I was fortunate to get on that expedition. It's a bit of a long answer to your, to your question. But um, I came back from that expedition, which was in, in Northern Territories in Australia, which is an absolute amazing, amazing opportunity. We're in um, Aboriginal lands. You know, we're the only people, there's 12 of us in there, and we were looking for um ancient aboriginal rock art, you know fourteen thousand years old and um it was just you know amazing amazing uh period of time you know um living with your feet in the dirt, one pair of shorts, you know, eating by you know uh making a fire every night um sleeping out, just just in a kind of real natural state, you know in terms of what was around us and um that that sort of expedition. What happened was I I was the first one in the British Army to get on that expedition as a participant, and um, as a result of that, you know I, I you know got presented to the Queen and blah 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 a few other things. But then you end up coming back to the unit, right? So you come back I'm back in Germany. So I've been you know I've been in charge of a bridge site building a bridge in in Australia as another project I did and all the other project leaders they're all they're all officers in the army i'm just a, i'm just a bod you know sap and the engineers and i got back to my unit and it was like fuck, i'm in germany i didn't want to be there there's no real there was no real role for us to be honest um, and um, there's a massive drinking culture and you know it you know just went hand in hand in the military certainly around that time it was it was just carnage, you know, every weekend, you know, people didn't want to leave the camp. They just they just want to drink themselves into a into a stupor and then all the you know the fighting and carnage that came out of that. But you know, I I had my eyes opened, you know, in terms of this this other world that was out there, these opportunities. And um, um I didn't I don't think I had the self-discipline at that point to actually kick on from that experience in, in Australia and um, what happened was um, this is now 1988 and you know our friends the IRA are bombing all the camps in Germany right so we, we just get stuck on guard all summer but we've been putting for a for, uh, one week competent crew yachting sailing course right up in Kiel so we go and do this we get Taking out this six-month guard duty, you know, and we're we're off we're off a week up in Kiel, and we do this um, we do this sailing course. And while we're on this course, you know, we had, had four good mates, three good mates uh, on this course, and we're we're sailing the army's latest sort of racing yacht. And every night we're going to a new port, you know, we're getting in getting up to all sorts as you can imagine, and. Um, uh, having the time of our lives it was just fantastic and we kept saying on the way back to germany because we sailed back across the baltic we said oh you know we could just we could just keep going you know we had this thing. we could just keep going we could go to the med we could you know we'd have to go back to the army it's you know what's going on there it's um it was dull there was no prospects there's no action no adventure and um Anyway we got back to we got back to Kiel and we kind of went out on the last night day, and there was some i don't know there was some sort of energy going around there was some i don't know we just we had to do a really good night in Kiel and uh you know we, we sort of made our way back to we were making our way back to camp in the early hours of the morning and I don't know I just we just sort of seemed to pick up the pace you know we were sort of we were we were not sort of bimbling back with a with a you know a kebab and stumbling around drunk it was like we'd been drinking all night but no one was getting drunk we had this kind of subconscious kind of drive in us something I don't know one said oh let's go back and nick a yacht you know it was sort of but it was, it was a lovely moon, moon uh, full moon, and we were sort of walking back, striding back to camp, all, like, in good spirits. And next thing you know, we're breaking into the cookhouse. We're getting ten man rat packs. You know, we, the beer, the yacht's still um, full of beer from like previous nights and stuff like that. So We've got we're getting this thing, and uh, we we start singing you you know pirate songs up like, you know and all the rest of it, and I. And I'm thinking oh, I'm going along with it and all the rest of it. I'm the oldest. I'm, I'm one of the oldest there. We get down to the jetty, and and the idea was we we would sleep one night on the yacht and then we'd go back to camp the next day, right? So the lads are like, right, let's go, we're off, you know. And um, they start undoing the undoing the mooring, right? And um, I'm I'm squat. I'm sat you know, on, on the jetty, right, it's, uh, yeah, it's really lovely, warm nights, you've got a t-shirt on, I can see the stars, the moon's out, and I just remember looking at this sort of, you know, this yacht and these lads and they're going, right Nick, come on, let's go, and when I was at the, you know, the bow of the, the, the yacht, on, with the last, you know, the last cleat sort of thing, and I just looked at and I said, lads, are you, are you sure about this, because you you know, like when you drink so much and then you kind of sober up a bit. And I was like, are you really sure about this? And they're like, Nick, you know, you're with us or you're against us. You know, come on. And they start singing all this. And I just thought, fuck it. You know, let's go. And I just took one loop off this cleat, chucked the, the sheet onto the onto the boat, uh, onto the yacht, jumped on, jumped aboard. And we we just drifted out into this main... The main shipping channel off of um, Kiel, and fuck, <laughs> it's mental. I mean, I mean, it was like you know, we got out a little bit and we cracked open the beers and um, you know started making cheese. Do you know, we used to remember that cheese, cheese possessed. You know, cheese in a can you used to get something. Cheese sandwiches. We got that motor going and we just we're just heading out. We're heading out to sea and it's like. We're singing, we're singing pirate songs, we're like, life on the ocean waves and all this kind of thing. And we're still having a party, that's what we're doing, we're on this on this yacht having a party and, and then there's like, there's this noise below decks, right, and this fucking full group, right, he, well, unbeknown to us, he'd driven up from our unit to, to drive from the MT to drive us back to camp, right, and... Um, He goes, what the, he came up from below deck sort of thing, and he's like, what the fuck are you lot doing? And we're like, no one's saying anything. He goes, you are in the fucking shit now. You don't know how much trouble you're in. Turn this fucking boat around and get back to to shore. You know, you're going to jail and all the rest of it. And we're like, no, mate, (laughs) you're the one that's in the shit. You know, this is our boat. We're going. We're off.
0: Sorry, how how
1: far did you get, Nick?
0: I mean, Copenhagen. Copenhagen.
1: Yeah. From Germany. That's it, yeah.
0: And I'm just looking at the map.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got a map here. It doesn't look much across the Baltic, but... Um... It, well, it's quite a way if it's not your
0: boat, isn't it?
1: <laughs> well, listen, for a start, none of us could sail... You know we had no charts i think i had a road well i did have a roadmap, map brr roadmap we had no charts we couldn't sail yeah we've been on the piss you know on this course competent crewman is just can you can you pull in uh the, you know the foresail can you put on the mainsail it's not like can you navigate out of a main shipping channel can you can you sort of uh, navigate yourself through the dark you know through the night when you so sorry, when you got to
0: Denmark, what did you do? Just abandon it, or did you get caught?
1: So we we're so this full screw, which is a corporal. For those who don't know it. We've we and him and another guy. We've said like, you're either coming with us, or you we're gonna make you walk the plank, right? So we're three miles off, offshore in the main shipping channel, and uh, this guy starts sort of stuttering and blubbering, and we're like, right, <laughs> pulled the uh, life raft. Inflated this life raft, you know, but we inflated in the cat, in the sort of, not in below deck, but in the cockpit. So we're all like, push, pull this button, you know, all this. We're pushed up against the side of the um, side of the yacht. I mean, it's like, it's laughable. Anyway, we chuck this, eventually chuck this thing over. There's a bit of a struggle. We chuck this thing over the side, get the two lads, put them in this life raft, and we just cut them adrift. I mean, you know, I'm, it, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not sort of proud of that uh I what happened they're... to all the? you're either with us or against us no sorry Chris let me explain just uh just let me explain these two guys <laughs> yeah they didn't know they were being captured they they'd come up to drive us back to camp right so they're innocent they're from the MT section they're they're not the four guys me and the other three guys that have nicked the yard they don't name they were asleep below depths they've got no idea what's happening so literally made them bought the plank, put them in this life off I mean we did we did we saw a light, we saw a lighthouse and we sort of in the middle of this shipping channel we sort of headed towards it as close as we could and then just cut the rope mate and um they drifted off and I just remember seeing them because they span in our wake a bit they were doing this 360 and these two sort of, you know pale faces uh what just just
0: just so we know were they protesting that you put them in the life raft or did they want to get in and have nothing well, more they, to do? They
1: wanted to get in, yeah, because they um, they thought we were, were, we were going to kill them, you know, on this, on this yacht. I mean, we were pissed we didn't have to sail the thing. They thought they were going to sort of drown at sea. We're going off into the middle of the Baltic, you know. I mean, there's nothing in front of us. So we can still see the lights of the shore three miles, you know, um, three miles away. Um, but we're in a main shipping channel, but anyway, we, we, uh, cut them adrift. We could hear, and the other thing is the Maydays alerts were going off. So it was all we could hear all night was Mayday, 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 all shipping, be, be on the lookout for the British yacht Cormoran. So, uh, we could hear all this, what, turn that thing off. Is that,
0: is that because someone had realized it had been stolen?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay so um we peeled the letters off i, I remember leaning over the, the, the you know the back of the ship and um the yacht and uh, peeled the letters off so so it read One, right so i've taken off the cdo and the uh you know the ant so it said the moron and we put up a german flag so we're now the german yacht One, right and um anyway we just drift off through the night and um you know, I passed out, everyone's like passing out left, right, and centre. I kind of woke up in the morning. And, um, if you've ever been on a boat in a in a in a harbour, you know, when a when a boat goes past you, there's a, you start, you're generally pretty calm, and then you ripple, don't you? And and I woke up and I was like rocking the the, the boat was rocking, and I was thinking, Fuck, that was a mad dream I've just had, you know. And and I was thinking. Oh, that's a big boat that's going past us because we're still rocking. You know, five minutes later, and I'm thinking that's not right. And I, and I this is in the morning. <clears throat> I wake up and I go up up on deck, and um, there's my mate there and Geordie. They're sort of just slumped in with a tiller, right? And it's just peat, It's just fog. Everywhere is just fog. I couldn't see any land, nothing. And I'm like. You know, we it won a dream we actually done it you know we we're in the middle of the Baltic and um I woke you know uh for me up and I said you know chief where are you where are we he goes I don't know Nick <laughs> I, I fell asleep you know I said well what bearing have we been on he goes I don't know and I thought fuck you know we're in the shit you know <laughs> and uh I was like, well, we've got no charts. Um, you know, i other have mate was still asleep. And, uh, you know, this this realisation just dawns on you. You know, you're thinking about these two lads, right, you phone overboard, you're like, oh, well, yeah, hangover from hell and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I got this road map out, right, and um, this B-A-R roadmap, and I'm going through it. It's got to be a bit on Denmark and, yeah, lo and behold, a bit of... T- Kiel was in was in the one of the last sections of the map. Was Kiel, blue strip of ocean, and I'm like, well, we've come out of Kiel. If we go north, if we go on, you know, a northerly bearing, we must unless we've gone too far east into East Germany. If we go, if we stick north, we're going to hit land. We've got to hit land somewhere. Uh, somewhere. So, um, so that's what we did. So we went north got a northerly bearing and we've been on the motor all night so we're in on this diesel engine all night we've got no life raft and uh, we don't know how to sail but when we set this you know you can now to set a compass we set that sort of bearing to north and we just chugged off into the soup you know into this pea soup and um, you know you can imagine it's quite a long day um, through the through the fog through the mist eventually clears sort of mid-afternoon <clears throat> and um, you know uh, then we get into a storm you know a bit of a squall blows up and um, we're thinking wow we're, we're, by this point we, we've managed to put a sail up because we we thought we can run out of diesel you know and we put this sail up and um, we're still on northerly bearing and you know late late afternoon we see the land we're like that land oh you know you can imagine we thought, oh my god it's like a lifeline you know and so we just hand round this, this coastline, we're, we're still about three miles offshore, two, three miles offshore, we just hand round this coastline and just, and I'm, look, I'm, you know, looking through this map thinking, oh, is there any harbours or anything? And I thought, we can't go another night, do you know what I mean? Because we can run out of diesel. We had to take the sail down because it got really, you know, got re- really um, windy, like quite a storm blowing and... You know, rough seas, and you know, at one point I go to take the uh, mainsail down, it got stuck on something and we got heeled over. And I'm literally I'm I'm dangling over the edge, you know, my feet are in the water, I'm I'm, you know, we've got no life jackets on, nothing like that. Um you know, it's but it's getting to be a sticky situation. We're getting you know deeper and deeper into it, you know, and um eventually. Um, we're saying, well, what's the options? You know, what we got? Well, we can't, we ain't got no life raft. We can't swim ashore. You know, we can have to run aground. You know, if we don't see anything, we're just going to have to run this thing into the rocks. And that, you know, all that didn't sit right. And then late, late afternoon, we just saw like a ferry in the distance going into a, obviously going into a harbour. So we thought, follow, follow that ferry. And we saw this, we saw this harbour before the the main ferry port and um we decided to put on the sailing put on sailing suits because we thought you know you know the authorities are looking for us we still you know still calling out maydays and um taking the sails down got the engine started up and we sort of just you know punted into this um into this ferry and, that, and yeah right in front of us there was um danish uh police um on the ferry and we thought that's it they've come for us but sort of just bluff your case a bit started scrubbing the decks down and would wave to them and stuff like this and um, my mate um, uh, Craig he he managed to we managed to because we came in too fast you know wind behind us we were like <laughs> I don't know about I don't know seven eight knots into you know you, you need to take the gas off so we just managed to swing round it drop everything and just managed to to moor it up and um first thing we did um start cleaning the cleaning the decks down the police guard come up came alongside us to a crawl he, he just sort of looked across at us like this and we sort of looked at him and he just carried on going he saw the name on the on the boat you know moron he saw the german flag he's looking for a british british yacht more corn you know and um you know we got away with it um Packed packed some kit up in a sail bag, you know, some DOS bags. I just wrote a note downstairs, gone fishing, left a little note. And um, uh, we just walked off from the harbour. We come across this pub and we just sat down and we just had a beer. And we were like, fucking hell.
0: So, yeah, you're in the pub having a (laughs) recovery beer.
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh it was in it was still in the morning, no, I think it must have been oh, I can't remember what, what time it was. But anyway, we um we have this drink, this uh this um this brings over four four large pints. and yeah, we haven't got much money, that's our thing, so we got no money. I did have a credit card, nothing on it. Puts down this um puts down this bottle opener pours our four beers. It's like that ice cold in Alex, you know, thing. And we're looking at the beer, the sort of, you know, this sort of trip down the edge of it and uh just knock these beers back. And it's like, fucking hell. And that that sort of anxiety then started to sort of form in the in your stomach. You know, when you're in the shit and you got to face it, right? But I mean for me that was a familiar thing. i I'd sort of you know, from my from my childhood uh, experiences, I carried that with me. That kind of um, that knot of uh, anxiety was a kind of familiar uh, feeling for me. But this, it was obviously exemplified. Um, and we just thought, you know, the fuck we're going to get out of this, you know, and, and um, we're in Denmark. We've made the crossing. Uh, thankfully, you know, we haven't caused any damage to the yacht. We have these beers, and we brought this. Let's just make our way, uh, jump on the train and get to Copenhagen. We thought we're, look, we'll have one night on the piss and then um, then we'll think about it because everything gets resolved after the night on the piss, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so uh, we jump on the train. Um, you know, Like I say, we haven't got any currency. We haven't got any cash as it is. We've got a few Deutschmarks, I think. And um, uh, we're getting to Copenhagen, right? So... Go into this main station, Central wind Central Station. It's a bit like Waterloo, any any big, massive station, right? Loads and loads of people bombing around. We go and have a shower. And we got this sail bag. And it has got the, you know, what we took from the from the yacht, and it's got our DOS bags in. And we thought, right, well, we we'll leave this in left luggage. And we, we're in the middle of this platform, middle of this sort of concourse, you know, it's loads and loads of people walking around. And we're just stuffing this um um this bag into into the left luggage and two of my mates um buddies who's in training with just sort of walk walk up to us and he goes, All Right, lads, what are you up to? And we go, Oh, we will leave. He goes, We go, what are you doing? He says, Oh, we're in the tall ships race with the British Army, we've come from Kiel. And we're like, Oh fuck. He goes, What? I says are you with the instructors from Keele? Like? And he goes, yeah, well, all of the headshed are here. He goes, we're looking for these four lads that Nick this yacht. I said, what? He said, did you hear about these four blokes that Nick this yacht? And I said, what about the two lads that got chucked overseas? He goes, they're all right. He goes, how do you know about them? And I was like, fuck it. And I goes, oh, well, oh yeah, we somebody told us about it, type thing. So we bluffed that off and um, they left we i've got, got to get out of this station <clears throat> because the the head shed from um keel we're in that station and we just we just literally got the key in the lock turning this thing <clears throat> and it, and it's sort of like a parting of the crowd and, and like 100 meters away we just locked eyes with this um warrant officer who was who was in charge of the uh the sailing british army sailing center and he just he just pinged us. Do you know what I mean? It was just a pure, pure sort of fluke. And um, you know, we weren't gonna run off, it's like we couldn't really get, you know, get away, as it were. <clears throat> he just come up to us. And he same thing, goes, All right, lads, what are you up to? We go, give him the same thing. He goes, Oh, you know, we're on leave. And and then his opposite said, Ah, oh, I recognise you from from Kiel. Sure you're not from Kiel. And so there we are, right? So we've achieved the objective. We're in Copenhagen. We've we've had we've had a drink. We've we've sort of meet the, we've met the objective. We've got no money. This WO one is actually in the MP, so he's in the army, the military police. But he's on he's actually on detachment where he's looking after this sailing centre. And so now we're faced with this choice. So you've always got a choice, and this is this is one of the key sort of elements of, uh, that i would learn about that you know you always have a choice right and our choice at that time was we either knock these two guys out and go on the run or we we look at the other option you know and uh I said hold on a minute and he was I said look we'll have a little chin, chin wag and he says look listen it he goes if it's you if you're the guys if it's you I'll say that you handed yourselves into me and that is a massive lifeline. You know, that's not being caught, that's handing yourself in. So we went, uh, Fair enough, it's us, you know. And he was like, Fuck that. He goes, Well done, lad. He goes, You made a really good choice. And it really stayed with me that. And um, he goes, First thing he said to us after that, he goes, Where is she? And we're like, Where's who? He goes, Where's the courtroom? So he said, oh, it's in, it's in Rodby Harbour, you know, um, and uh, yeah. he goes, right, and he sent his oppo, and he goes, right, go make a phone call. I said, oh, just so you know, it's now called the One, right? <laughs> anyway, so off he goes. The uh, the w o one right, he goes, listen, Ed. he goes, you made a really good choice. Come with me now. But I'll, I'll stick to my word. I'll say you hand yourself in. And he went, found the, um, found the local old bill on the station. They locked us up on the station and he was going off to this tall ships race. And he said, well done, lads. He goes, all right. Um, I'll see you again, no doubt. Anyway, he left. And we literally had, you know, that, that hour before we got picked up again to, to sort our story out. And, And this is, this is the key thing is really is that we just said, look, you know, where are starting to go on the piss. You forget all sorts of detail, don't you? So we said, nobody remembers anything. All we remember is waking up in the morning and then trying to get to land and then trying to hand ourselves in at the earliest opportunity. That's the story <clears throat> because nobody wanted to incriminate anyone. Nobody knew whose idea it was, anyway. But you could say, "Oh, yeah, Nick did this," or you know, Joy did that," or "Craig," you know, whatever. So just just say so you don't remember anything, and you just and that was our story. Simple. Keep it simple, right? So we get picked up by the old bill, and they take us um, in this in this sort of meat wagon through Copenhagen. We can see we're going through a, you know downtown. We see all the lights, all the action. Just looking out the back window with the bars on. And we get put in a prison in um, in Denmark and then um then uh, basically we got I don't know how, how many knights were in there, but then the British come up, the military come up, and we got taken to the SIB, which is um the special investigation branch, and we got took straight to them, right? And um it was it was literally interrogation, you know, before before I had the, before I had the interrogation. So it's interrogation. know all day and separated um and um you know i think they thought i was a ringleader because because i was one of the oldest there and i'd already been in some you know minor sort of scuffles and capers and stuff and um been in uh, a bit of a i don't know they just they i guess they just thought it was it was me it was my i was a ringleader and they that's what they want to do like too early thing they want to put somebody in the frame it doesn't matter if he's if he is or he ain't let's get somebody let's not ruin four careers let's just lock somebody up and um you know straight out the sweeney you know in he comes in you know, a cup of tea you know glass of water sort of plastic cup sort of thing and um it's like <clears throat> i was the last one to get interrogated so i've been stood up like i don't know eight ten hours or something get into this room he goes, All right, Nick, how are you doing? Come in, sit down, you know. He says, Do you want a cup of tea, mate? This, this is the oppo, right? Do you want a cup of tea? I goes, Yeah, love one. And he goes, all Right, tell us um, tell us about this story then. So I, I'm drinking the tea like this. I'm, I've got to drink this tea. I was out like, hanging out. Have this tea first while I tell him, because um, I knew what the other lads would have said, you know. And uh, I said, Look, well, where do you want to know from? You know, and he goes, You know, tell us from. Uh, I said, you know, when you're in Kill, uh, when you're in Kill, I said, well, we went out on the piss. Said, yeah, we know all that. The lads are tell us, He went out on the piss. Tell us when you got back to, uh, got back to the sailing club. I said, well, look, you know, the first thing I can really remember is waking up in the morning. He goes, fuck you, lying bastard. He went, Poof. The, the drinks are off the table. His mates got me up against the wall. It's like a replay of the other thing that I had in years to come. Up against the wall, goes, you lying shit. He goes, Do you, you're getting... 10 years for this. They they wanted to give us 10 years. We were going to be the first British soldiers to be charged with piracy for 200 years. That's what we were getting charged with. I mean, it was like piracy, um, endangering life, danger to international shipping, drunken in charge of a vessel, crossing borders. I mean, the charge sheet was two sheets of A4, right? That they were scheming up. Because you're getting 10 years for this. You know, you don't know how much shit you're in. And I'm like, he goes so you better fucking wise up because all your mates have, have already told us it's you right so just tell the story and you know we're you know it's going to it's going to look better on you it's going to you're going to get an easier sentence or whatever if we can you know we we'll get you two years or something i think it was so you know i don't know something he goes so off we go and so, <laughs> I said, can I have another cup of tea. He goes, Fuck off. You know, just said it anyway. So I'm like, I woke up on the yacht and he's up against the wall again, you know, all this thing. Oh, we didn't we didn't budge from the story, that's it. And no, he didn't get anything that's all we got from us. We got back to camp eventually. And then you go through, you get you get another bollock in.
0: I'm not saying what happened to those two guys wasn't terrifying. <laughs> but also the realization that it's the endangering life is the thing, isn't it? Nick in a boat, I don't think is the worst thing, you know, we wouldn't recommend it, but Mm. it's, it's the fact that you put two people in a life raft and they might never have been seen again, mightn't they?
1: Well, I mean, they were close to a, you know, they were close as we could get to a, to a, uh, to a lighthouse. And
0: yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking for the prison sentence thing. That's, yeah. I'm guessing that's what it would hinge on. So mm. so did you get then hit by the military or did it go civvy first?
1: Yeah. So so um, to try and wrap up a sort of uh, quite a long story, um, yeah, it went on. It went on and on and on, basically. So so they, they couldn't figure it out. So there's a lot of negotiations. And um, we were on, like, close arrest for months and months, which meant – you know, you you confined to camp. You paraded three times a day in number two, so like best kit. You weren't allowed on any bars on camp. All you could do was go to work um, and then go back to the block, and then you'd be at the guardhouse parading. Now they went against Queen, Queen's Regs doing that, and we had a sense that they were they were kind of doing that because they didn't know they thought they were just going to wash their hands of us and you know and that'd be the end of it. So they just treat us how they want really. Um, but in answer to your question, um, what what the military you know the values of the military are about discipline, about rank, or about you know. Um, uh, loyalty and all this kind of thing and and if we if we were going to go to court martial if it was going to go even to civilian then it would be in the public domain and months and months went by and eventually about eight months later um peter Billier was our um was our brigadier right so he was ex obviously xsas in charge of the uh, special forces in the gulf and um but at this time, that's before that. But he was now a brigadier in charge of our division in Germany. And he, it was, he landed on his desk, right? So it's down to him. Were we going to get um, court-martialed? Or was he going to give our CO extended powers? So a brigadier can do that, give a CO extended powers. because CO can only give you 28 days in the extended powers. You can double the sentence, 56 days. So... You know, we were told, like, he said, like, if these lads can get, can navigate across the Baltic where not cause any harm to the, to anybody, like, cause the lads got picked up or to the ship and, you know, hang themselves in, then, um, you know, I think it, you know, it said it was a good sense, uh, showed good initiative. And um, he gave the CO extended powers. So we got 56 days in Colchester. I mean it was like unheard of because they were for a long time it went from 10 years right, you're getting two years you're getting dis- you're getting court-martial dishonorable discharge and of course that was a huge pressure we weren't allowed to drink at this point and um you know there was no there was no relief for us i mean we were like like we had like leprosy you know what i mean uh people were just you know a few people were stayed loyal to you that i'm still loyal to now but obviously You don't want to kind of hang around people that are getting court-martialed right and then it it went to him it came back that we're now getting see we're on co's orders right and um so we go into see into orders um and uh he goes you accept my award yeah yeah of course we accept your award we grab onto that he goes right i've got extended powers you get 56 days in colchester and we're like, like and soldier on this was the thing we weren't getting we weren't getting dishonourable discharge. 56 days and soldier on. And we're like, oh, thank God for that, you know. I mean, you can do fifty-six days, right? So so we got basically, you know, sent to Colchester. But the but the twist in the tail, right? I mean, you've heard of Colchester, right? Everybody in the services has heard of Colchester. It sort of, you know, it sends a shiver down your spine, the kind of The name of it and and um when we got we got flown back to germany handcuffed on a plane you know taken through a side exit and all this and i just remember getting handcuffed onto this onto this bus you know those green army buses used to go to ranges on and part of me's thinking oh i'm home i'm like you know back in uk happy days and and then you think oh actually i'm not going on leave i'm going to go to collie and um you know it is it is um, quite a thing to think about, um, a place to go to. and um, But first morning, like you wake up there, and they put us in the same room together, and we're in for the first night. It's sort of like a holding cell. And um, there's, on the Mondays, a big sort of common dance parade, right? And before you go on the parade, you're lined up. You've got A-wing, which is all of the... You know military that doing time that go back to the units, right? They're soldier on. Then you've got D Wing, they're doing up to two years. They're getting they're doing a sentence and they're getting discharged from the army or even doing two years and then going into a civilian prison, right? So you've got A Wing on one side, D Wing on the other side is Parade Square. And then uh, the RSM comes out. And we're we're like I mean I I you know we're obviously Fucking nervous like you know we don't know what the, the sketch is or anything but we're on parade, and um, this ISM comes out and I'm thinking i oh, think recognize him somewhere he just calls our names out he goes wild man he calls out the other female he goes get out of here one pace mark and what was, this is inviting everyone take one pace forward like this I know you four fuckers from somewhere and I'm like, oh, my God, it's the guy from Kiel. You know, the guy we've handed ourselves into, you know, a year later, is now the RSM at Colchester. And uh, it was just like, it was the, like the full circle of the story, really. And um, anyway, we got we got an easy ride, really, from the rest of the soldiers under sentence, as they know. Because there's quite a lot of violence and intimidation and all that kind of stuff in that place. We've got an easy ride. And um, even on the inspections, he would come in, you're allowed one photo. You know, you didn't sleep on your bed because your bed has to be immaculate. You're sleeping on the floor. Everything you own has got to be like in a sheet of A4 paper, like combat jacket, all your kit. It's It's immaculate. It's unbelievable. I mean, the routine there is pretty... It, well it's known as the harshest penal regime in the country you know uh, that's civilian and military and um you're allowed one photo inside of your locker and on on the end on the weekly inspection that the, the the commandant would do we'd come around one of the rooms as well you had to open your locker and i'd taken a picture of the four of us when we landed at, at Rodby harbour with our arms round the shoulder you know next to this and you can read the, the moron right next to the boat. So I put that up on the inside of my locker. Anyway, he comes in and he goes, All right. And, and, you know, he's like sat on your bed. He goes, Tell us, you know, tell us what, what bearing were you on, you know? It's a great, you know. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just, um, it's just how the military do things, isn't it? they got a sense of humor at the end of the day. So much so, when we got back to the unit, our colonel, the guy, given us the sentence he puts in the army sailing team so me and me and my best mate um the chief call calling he um we entered the army sailing we conferred in the army championships because we were we got then got trained out to do ding, dinghy sailing right so we were sailing every week and um so we come so the so we won the arm the regimental cup put put and the and the colonel had to then present us with a with a trophy about you know a couple of months after we come out of culture. So it all turns into a laugh and joke, you know. We had we had pirate we used to have pirate dudes in the squadron and um you know it's quite a well-known story, but you know, obviously career-wise, I knew I was I was not getting gonna, gonna sort of progress anywhere. So as soon as I could, mate, I handed my kit in, you know, and um, got another expedition into Zimbabwe. Been well, four months out there, and then um, handed my kit in. But it was kind of, you know, it's a funny story. If you like, we got away with it. In many ways, it could have gone. It could have gone badly wrong, as as we discussed. But um, it really was a reflection of my mindset at the time, which was, and even proceeding up to that was. I mean, I was regarded, as something you know, before I joined somebody, you know, real mistrust of authority, you know, because this is what you do as a young kid when you're experiencing sort of, um, you know, adverse experiences as growing up. You you don't respect authority. I had no fear of any consequences, as we you know we've seen. Um, you know, I had living in fear, vulnerability. You know, and I would reach for anything that would take me out of that, you know. And you know where that kind of leads, you know, into abusing uh, substances, alcohol, stuff like that, and um, and things that go with that. And, um, you know, getting into trouble before I joined the army at, you know, criminal record. Best mate was in Pentonville. I used to go around, you know, every prison in London, you know, Wandsworth, one of the scars, Pentonville. You know, these places I'm thinking, what are you doing? Which is why ended up in the army in the first place. But I still had that I still had that sort of chaos sort of mindset. And you know, we could went on the piss, anything could happen, you know, as as, as um you know just said. And um I still had this mistrust of um, I was great, you know, in the field, good soldier, but around camp, there's nothing to do. We just get up to mischief, you know. I mean Lack of self discipline, lack of maturity. Um and um but I'd had this unresolved trauma, you know, and um that took a long time to unravel and you know I left I left the army, I can um, you know, moved into a council estate in um, in Guildford now because mum had moved away. And um, you know, I'm now living um, you know, and the friendship circle I've got you know, I'm living above the biggest, you know, drug dealer in, in Guildford at the time. And um, this is sort of end of 89. You know, it's that sort of rave culture going on. And but, you know, you adapt. You know, one thing we do is we adapt to our environment. I adapted to that environment, you know, because I was pretty lost. Um, you know, I didn't have any family around me. My, 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 my brother was... Um, he he'd gone missing in India and um uh you know, I went out there to find him, found him, bought him, you know, helped bring him home. Was and, he um
0: uh, Was he having an episode or something?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, we all we all sort of um display I mean,
0: I mean that sounds like psychosis. You, you
1: Well, it you know, it kind of it kind of went into that because of the lifestyle that he was leading. And, um, you're going to, you know, he saw a good friend of his die in the mountains, and, um, you know, um, it was quite a traumatic time for him. And, you know, the people that he was and the thing is, you know, I think the point is that when you're kind of lost, right, and we've all been there, when you're lost, you, you need a good impulse, you need a good, uh, influence, right? And if the people around you aren't good influences, and you're easily easily influenced when you're in that vulnerability, that's why that's why it's called vulnerability because you are you know you're you're subject to influences around you your environment and um
0: I add that though Nick I had um sorry to interrupt you, but
1: that's right. yeah.
0: I remember in uh, sat at the dock in Hong Kong waiting for a ferry to Llama Island, beautiful little island off Hong Kong very bohemic island no no cars on it just these little like golf cart things anyway i was there with a chap in my book i call him i think i call him david niven his real name was richard burton (laughs) i'm rolling this joint right making sure you know the hong kong passers-by aren't aren't spotting me sort of thing i'm rolling it like i've climbed down this dock or whatever rolled this joint he looked at me and he said something like and he he'd been dropping in these really snide comments that i didn't appreciate so we'd be out we we're out with two girls once in um in um rick's cafe in hong kong it's i later become the do- doorman on, uh, on there and uh we're with these two girls i don't know they they were called yeah. Tarquhar and <laughs> Farquin or something. <laughs> anyway, he says, uh, he said, girl, girls, this is my friend, Chris. And just as I'm about to say hello, he says, Chris is a drug addict, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, Rich, for fuck's sake, man. So anyway, we're sat on this dock waiting to go to Llama Island and I've skinned up this joint. And and he looked at me. He says, Chris, he says, you know, I'm a bit hard on you sometimes. <laughs> Uh, about about the old drugs and i'm like yeah i sort of wondered where this was going nick you know he said yeah. he says because i lost two years of my life to uh heroin addiction and i'll see you going exactly the same way <laughs> and you know what it's like i'm like oh yeah know, yeah, don't worry i'm i'm fine you know I'm on top of this you know it's it's, it's it but it's just that thing, isn't it? When when you're not right in the head because of childhood trauma, the universe sets you a challenge to make you. Any time you're not right, it doesn't matter. Even at my age now, if something's wrong in my life, I recognise now that's the universe is challenging me, saying, "Look, you've still got this to work on." If I go off at someone or what, it, it's I know that's me. That's that that I've lost my peace of heart sort of thing, you know. Um, I add to it rock rock bottom. and then hit it again, Mm -hmm. and then later on in my life, hit it again. There's nothing anyone could have said. There's there's beautiful things people have said to me over the years, you know, lovely stuff, like, Chris, you deserve better than that, mate. You know, you're a really nice guy, and that's what you need to hear when you're a traumatised person.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Is it going to stop you then going out and scoring at the first? Well, no, because only you can get the answers from inside, isn't it? You know, and, and you you and you're not gonna change until life becomes so painful that it's easier to change, you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. I mean it becomes as clear as day in that at that moment, doesn't it? Because all the time, you know, all the time that you're sort of making do or coping you know things are all right, but um, you know you get to that point, and it's like, you know, as I say, you have got these choices. You can you can go straight down the middle, you can go left, you can go right, can't you? Mm. Um, and
0: are you still, you know, do you still struggle with pirate addiction now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, you know. I actually like the idea of being a pirate. You know, I mean, you know, they cool outfits, right?
0: Yeah, and and you get a parrot, so I mean what what's yeah. not the career prog- the career progression when you mention it affected upon your career. <laughs> I I understand that because you basically get pirate 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 captain it's like dead man's shoes isn't it yeah Yeah, (laughs) and and you gotta have a big beard if you want to make it's probably difficult when you're 19.
1: (laughs) yeah i mean um you're quite right but uh i I, you know i'm a free spirit at the end of the day that's it you know um uh the military was i'm grateful for for well you
0: Nick, really? you're clearly very well balanced now, and I'm looking forward to we'll we'll touch on Trident in a, in a minute, and and yeah. so you're living above this big dealer, um, and I'm guessing that this is having an influence on your. I mean, you dabbling and stuff.
1: Work-wise, I would say uh, motorcycle courier in London. And uh this was before cameras, before red lines and all, all the rest of it. I my, my number plate was just on a Velcro, you take it off in the morning, blast around town, and then uh put it back on the on the way back down the A three. But it's like um you know, that lifestyle I was in that lifestyle, you know, I was still and, and looking back at it, I think I think these distractions, they just they just keep you in the game longer, you know, but you can get distracted by lots of different things. You know, people, addiction is just behaviour, right? That's all it is. Um, you can be addicted to work, you know, actually, all the things that you can think of can be a advice um, you can be addicted to. And essentially what they are is just a, distracting you. They're a distraction from, you know, the thing that you need to face, you know, and I think you, you've, the work is going from sort of chaos as i'd call it to courage right and for me like true true courage is about facing facing that fear of the unknown facing that you know look into your into your sort of dark uh, sort of shadow side of your darkness or whatever and and um and doing the work on that and that is that is uncomfortable that is a long journey and i think you need you need, you need to be at the right time of life to be able to do that. And people recognise this, you know, instinctively. You know, I'm, you know, I'll distract myself with this thing for a number of years or I'll distract myself with a career. I can function in a particular way um, that society is going to not, I'm not going to get pinged for it. You know, I can, I can drink, I can binge drink at weekends I can turn up to work on Monday, I'll be all right, or I can, you know, you can smoke and um you know party and get away with that on weekends as long as you know you can pull a few sickies and all the rest of it, but you can you can function. And um as you say, it's only when continuing that journey he is becomes intolerable. And um for me it was all like you know I went from that that sort of chaotic you know everything that was been driving me with, was would be to show externally that I was strong
0: mm.
1: you know it's to show that I had no fear when I was living in fear, you know a lot of the time, distracting myself with you know unhelpful behaviors um, and uh you know but I would you know when you're in that state, you're reacting. There's no measured responses. You're reacting to, you know, you'd be flaring up at people in traffic. You'd have all sorts of, uh, you know, things going on where you're just reacting from one thing to another. I mean, an idea coming your head. Like I was, you know, I had, a, I had a good sort of good job. I was, you know, um working for the Observer newspaper as their as their courier. Fantastic job. Uh could have turned it into a really good business, you know, but I wasn't, I wasn't in that mindset. The bloke just phoned me. I had, a, I had one of them Dom Jolly phones when they first came out, Down, uh, you know, down my leather jacket. It's around Tesco's one night, phone goes off. I come back from work. Do you want to clear up some minefields in Kuwait? I goes, yeah. I goes, when are we doing it? He goes, well, it's like, go to meet this guy in, in London um, next week and um, he come out the week after. i was like, fair enough. I just, you know, just took off. And uh, that was another, that was another, I mean, I wouldn't go into that, but that was, um, you know, there's so many stories about that. Was it
0: Was it dry? Did you have a dry trip there? No, mate. No. What I mean is, is, you know, sometimes we, we, in an effort to get on top of uh, substance misuse, we go, right, I'm moving to here. I'm doing this. And, (laughs) My experience is as you get there and the very first thing you do is look look to get hammered um, yeah
1: well this was exactly it i mean um uh i went out there just left i left that job i just walked out on it walked out on a number of things walked away from that place and just sort of packed my bag got this job and uh we're civilians and this was after the invasion you know when saddam had set fire to all the uh, oil fires and we were there to Clear the minefields and clear the oil fields so that Red Adair and his team could extinguish those fires. So, um, but I mean, this is to give you a level. I mean, you know, Kuwait is a dry country. You cannot drink, you can't buy alcohol in Kuwait. If you get caught with anything else other than alcohol, you know, we got there first weekend, we were there, there was a hanging in town. Like that, don't go downtown, there's a hanging. The chief instructor had been blown up on day one, it lost um, arm leg, was blind. Didn't get really much of an intro brief, but I I was used, you know He I, um
0: he he could have joined your pirate gang. <laughs> yeah, well
1: uh that's yeah uh <laughs> timing I suppose, isn't it? But um But um Yeah, it's probably
0: like a hanging a fence there, isn't it? For for
1: Yeah.
0: For certain substance but yeah, I mean you got so, yeah, I, I mean I you
1: know But that stuff,
0: didn't that didn't put you off though.
1: I didn't put me off mate. no I took um I took a lump of uh soap over with me if you know what I mean and um you know I'm reunited with some good old mates um made some really good friends over there as well um I'm still in touch with now uh you know army commandos um uh you know and um real real good people that you could depend on and um but we're still carrying that lifestyle. Within a couple of weeks, I was collecting AKs from the battlefield and selling them to um, the American embassy for for cases of Bud and, you know, it just carries on, doesn't it? But uh, that chaos, that just continued. I mean, there was loads and loads of stories. <laughs> there was chaotic sort of time um, in Kuwait. And it was, it was quite dangerous work, you know. Um, a couple of guys... Um, well, three guys were killed two guys in my team were killed a team of six and um you know I, I left there after after three months after that um after that first sort of tour as it were but uh i went on from there um and we just carried on that lifestyle now we've got money in the bank you know i'd i'd come away from that had 20 grand i could buy a house for 60 grand um you know it was just pretty carnage, mate. We went on a road trip around the States, just spending money like it was um, confetti. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a good time. It was a good time with good mm. people, you can imagine. And uh, bought a 62 T-Bird, drove down to Mexico. Um, you know, we're in Miami, with ski, we ski for a month. We just, we just We took a rental car in New York. We never took it back. You know, we just drove it. We, like, we could have bought a brand new car. We just took this rental car on a one way around the States. Um, till I bought that T Bird, and because uh, you couldn't take a higher car into Mexico. But, um, you know, eventually, you know, you got to listen to, to yourself, and, and there's a little niggle in the back of your head saying, Nick, you know, don't waste this money, don't, you know, don't go too far down this pipeline because we were just drinking every day and anything else that we could find had come across. And um it it was only gonna end up one way. In fact, the lads ended up down in Miami and uh they set up uh some raves down there and um you know they were doing well. They, you know, I would go out and visit them. I went back to UK, put a deposit down on a house, but I'd go back and visit them and They'd have like a villa on Ocean Drive with a swimming pool. I go back three months later; they're now in a, you know, a house, you know, six blocks from the sea. I go back a year later; they're in a, they're in a bedsit downtown Miami. You know, that's what, the reality.
0: Yeah, going downhill then, basically.
1: So they're going downhill, and I mean, I was running equally going downhill. I was running myself ragged. Um you know, just running away from stuff really. I I I won't, I still didn't have that maturity to what, what to was face.
0: your uh, what was your epiphany moment then?
1: Well, um after Q eight I went to Bosnia. Um so I went to um so you know um, you've had him on your show uh, combat counselor Graham. Do you remember from you, you talked to him before mm. anyway? Uh, he's Graham, Graham Bent that's it yeah grand so um I met him out uh I only met him for a day but long story short I went out to Bosnia to to um drive uh, food convoys in Sarajevo and um I was still in that lifestyle still wanting to do good things I decided I left a you know, another good job I thought I'd be a war photographer but um it was uh it was all starting to unravel. It was the it was getting to a point, Chris. And you know, you know it as well. You know when it's coming, you can almost feel it. And uh I was no longer the guy you could you know, I'd sort of accelerated in that lifestyle to somebody that was probably the last guy in the party, do you know what I mean? And um um from someone who was sort of fairly naive to it all. Um, even though some of those experiences I had I'm really grateful for because you know it's the first sort of time I would say felt real belonging and and love actually but um the epiphany came when I came back from Bosnia and I'd sort of you know we'd had a number of experiences out there we'd sort of you know that we'd we've managed to survive an ambush and um you know, there was a number of confrontations, I mean, still drink, I mean, you're risking things to just, just get a drink of Serovich, you know, and, um, you know, staying out all night when there's a shoot on site sort of curfew in town, you know, it's, it's, it's mental. But um, I came back from there, and I seemed to leave it on not a good sort of fitting, you know, I mean, not a good sort of, there wasn't a good sense in myself, I'd let I you know I was not earning any money I was in debt I come back to the country I walked away from my house and um I was in debt and I'd lent the charity I was working for a lot of money like a like a month's money to um to get this convoy going and uh you know with I wasn't looking after myself so I've started then started to you know I had this guilt about bosnia um that I'd left it I'd carried that with me. I'd carried all everything else from one experience to another. Like you say, when you join the military, you you carry those experiences into it. I went through all those other stressful experiences. I carried them, um, carried guilt and shame around me, and um, you know, I come back to the UK and things were starting to unravel. I couldn't work. I couldn't couldn't focus on any work. I didn't have any work. Um, I was getting more and more debt. You know, um, I lost a dear relative you know, relationships were, were breaking up, you know, it was, it it started to spiral downwards. And um, um, this, this epiphany moment came really, was through really poor mental health, which is, which is so obvious to see, you know, it's, um, which is why you can see it in other people, you know, that if you don't do the basics and regard yourself, eat, I mean, still drinking and stuff and not really eating. I wasn't sleeping. And I just wake up in these, like, panic, real, have a real panic. I covered in sweat. I was, like, you know, I was, like, fighting to fall asleep and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it it spiralled pretty badly. And, and, um, you know, I'd just be, well, I was just not functioning, mate. And... um, I'm I remember having a conversation with my mum and she said, Look, you, you know, because she'd she's moved away and she said, Look, go get, go down to the doctors. And I'm thinking, There's nothing wrong with me. Cause at first I'm although I'm I'm bad, I'm sort of having these periods of hyperness as well, where you're kind of thinking you're winning the lottery or something. You know, it's um it's kind of madness, really. It's uh it's almost, it's almost psychosis, I guess, um, where you're, you're just not hearing, you're not hearing voices, you're just acting out. That's all you're doing, you're acting out. I mean, I I'd go to a cash point, I, uh, you know, and I even though I was in debt, I withdraw loads of money and in, and give it to people, you know, just give it away next to me. I'd, and people think, oh, what's going on? And then, you know, um, what, what really what really brought things to a head was um this this debt that I was in and this money that the charity owed me. And I phoned them up, they were in Canada and I said, look, I'm, I'm coming up for this money, right? Um, I need it because at this point my house was going to get taken away from me. And so all of that, you know, all that grief from QA, at least I something to show from it. And I was about to lose that. And i'd also put some money in from my dad who left me a little bit and that had gone in there so i felt like i've got to hang on to this house right <clears throat> so i phoned him up and uh get fobbed off so i go up there i took a baseball bat went into their office left the bat outside the, the office said look you know i need this money chris you know um and uh he goes yeah yeah, you know get fobbed off again i said look I'll just stop you, mate, because there's two ways we can do this. You know, you can either go and get this money or you, you can, you can, you can have the other way. And he goes, Well, what are you talking about? So I just went, <laughs> I got this best, got this bat, and just slammed it down on his desk and said, oh, I'm serious, mate. I need this money today, right? And, um, you know, I didn't want to do that because, but it's about my own survival. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, you, you do have to look after yourself and um it was a loan. They'd agreed it was a loan and eventually they'd give me the money back. But I drive driving back from London and you know, I'm I'm having confrontations in traffic, you know, I'm I'm upset, you know, I'm um, you know, I'm visibly upset and I and I I turn into Chelsea Bridge Road and I'm in this uh, I'm in this motor and, and there's nothing in front of me. And there's no traffic, you know. Usually, there's always a lot of traffic in town this afternoon. There's, there's no traffic in front of me, and there's sort of a like, the bridge is like a bit of a humpback on it, you know. And the, I just think Fuck this, you know. And I just put my foot down and I get to this um proud hill, put my foot down, do about sort of 70 mile an hour. And at the end of Chelsea Bridge on Battersea side, there's like a, a raised uh roundabout, a sort of brick, brick concrete roundabout. We're piling in towards it. And luckily in the corner of my eye, I just see this old Bill. He's in a petrol station in, in a shell garage. And the sort of instinct then takes over, sort of snaps me awake out of this sort of go down back to the ice street. And uh I'm like, fucking hell. You know, it's, it's old Bill behind me, blue lights, all this sort of thing. Down the um down the road and I hear traffic. I think, fuck, you know, you you're in the shit here, like I've got this I got this bat in the back window, you know, on the back seat, and um, I'm sort of catastrophizing. I could see you looking in the ring, I could see this old bill coming. I thought, fuck it. And uh, we did this thing because my mate used to nick cars and stuff, and we, we used to practice J turns. Anyway, I put this thing into reverse, like put my foot down, and just reverse, like high speed, back towards this old bill car, like, straight into second gear, handbrake. Hard down on the wheel and I execute this perfect J turn. I mean it's just unbelievable. You know, it is absolutely unbelievable. But and I swung around next, I literally came because you if you do it well, you don't stop. Do you know what I mean? It spins on a sixpence and the car keeps the momentum and you and you keep going. And then you build speed up again, you know, you put foot down and go through the gears. And i just come round parallel to this old bell, and these two old bills just look across and look at me with open mouth, and I'm just like that. Happy days. You know, and I just, fucking, I tore off into the distance. And, you know, it went on from there. I just dumped the car, and I kind of went missing. I went AWOL for a bit. But um, I knew then that I was in the shit, mate. You know, I was in, not, not with, like, the police and stuff like that, but I knew personally, and that was... I knew, you know, people were, I'd, I'd gone missing. People were trying to find me and all the rest of it. And, um, yeah, it was – I knew that I needed help at that point sort of thing. And, um, you know, eventually, you know, I, got, I managed to get back home safe and I kind of just barricaded myself in and just and just rode it out, Me, But I did go to the doctor's um, eventually. And uh, he said, well, I think you've got, you know – depression, anxiety, PTSD, whatever. And I was like, okay, I just didn't, I'm not having it. He said, take these tablets. Now, my mum had been on tablets 30 years after my dad. And I thought, I'm not having it. So um, I just thought I am just going to ride it out at home. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, it's pretty much, it's pretty much what I did really it's, um I I remember I went to see uh, Chinese, you know, I was into alternative remedies really. And um, I got put onto this really, this wise, real wise Chinese guy. And he'd make me up these tinctures. He'd give me um, acupuncture. He'd say, look, you know, you must sleep, you must eat, you must eat this, only this. He gave me a strict diet, must follow this diet. You mustn't smoke, you mustn't drink, you mustn't do this. Must go to bed at this time. And it, and it gave me like a almost like a template to work on. When you start looking after, you start listening to, you know, good influence, you know, reading good material. Um, I started reading philosophies, uh, Eastern, Western philosophy. Um, I carried on with these tinctures. I started to exercise in the mornings. I walked around my garden. You know, I'd uh, I'd walk, you know, a bit of confidence up.
0: Did you slip back a lot, Nick? You know, it's very rarely a straight path out of there, isn't it?
1: Well, in the in the instance, no, mate, I didn't. I was, I kind of had this, and I've always had this thing that if I put my mind to something, like if I really want to do something, I could do it. Whatever it is, I just seem to be able to do it. And, um, you know, the walks sort of got longer and longer. And uh, I ended up, you know, going into the hills, you know, and then training. And then I got a job. and mate sort of, you know, you you, you need some lucky breaks. space to me. Come dig some holes for us. I got, like, one summer I just got mega fit, mega strong. You know, you're out in the sun. And... um and then this is all cash. I'm still I'm I'm off work. I'm still sick as it were, but I'm doing cash work. I'm trying to build myself back up, you know, financially, paying the debts and all this kind of stuff. And um and I thought, well, eventually after that summer, I need to get myself back into back into the sort of matrix, you know, I need to get into the system so that you know I can um put this behind me, get a job, start paying, you know, tax and all the rest of it. And uh, I saw this, I saw this advert. Well, first of all, what's funny enough, I thought, right, I saw this job. Right? <laughs> you laugh. I thought, I saw this job. It's driving a bread van. <laughs> it <cracks> me actually, <laughs> I thought, yeah, I could do that. I love bread, you know, and I like driving. I can drive. I'm I'm the right guy for the job, right? I go for this interview. I put a bloody suit on, didn't I, right? Because, you know, I, you know, I have I've sort of been in my little bubble for a while and I thought, yes, yeah, what you do, you you know, you put a suit on. I don't like it. I go for it. Of course, I went to this baker's for this job. I mean, driving a bread van, and this suit, right? And they must look at me thinking, What is this dude all about? You know? And uh I thought, I'm the man for the job. Why do you want the job well, I love bread? But anyway, obviously I didn't get the job because I still wasn't quite right. You know what I mean? I still you know, I had lack of confidence because you know you you when you're down at that sort of level you are you you ain't going any lower down you know, there's only one stop after that and um and of course all the you know carry on the pirate analogy but your wing gets taken out of the sails does not it and um uh so clearly I i didn't get the job and that was another little wake-up call it's like fucking it, you know you need to screw the nut here so you know, it gave me encouragement to keep doing what I was doing. I was working, you know, digging these holes, got onto a roof, doing roofing and stuff, the rest of it. And, um, but eventually thought, yeah, got to get back into it. All this job, uh, was to work in a gym, essentially in a university. So I got this job in the university gym. I had a great mentor there, really, really special guy. And he, he introduced me to this concept of lifelong learning because I was I was, what was I, 29, 30, 31. Well, I thought I was washed out. You know, I thought that's, that's the end of my life. And, you know, anybody else that's out there that's, I don't know, maybe going through difficulty, whatever age you are, you know, you've got a choice. There is lifelong learning. You know, um, we're all, I believe, you know, we all, came, we all come from the same. There's a bit of of everybody that's all the same we've got this this pure i don't know what you want to call it the
0: secrets of the universe are universal they're, they're in all of us and and exactly. when you're struggling you're gonna struggle till you learn to crack it and
1: yeah but that's that's the courage right that is the that is what is courageous and people talk about you know i uh, in the army and I've been done loads of different jobs in a fire service nearly 20 years and people kind of might like, get this idea of, that's courageous Well, that's just work right you're trained to do a job you can do the job you were good people good equipment you can do it courage is doing the hard internal you know um facing the internal sort of level of inquiry and um um so so anyway I I then had this mentor you know fantastic leader one of the best leaders I've ever come across civilian um Barry uh was his name and um really special guy and uh, he just sort of gave me little nudges saying like oh we need someone to lead the D of E group go and um get trained as a mountain leader and um you like mountain walking off you go you know he gave me this um the green light if you like to to um encouragement to go and do all these things. You know, i did all the personal training. I was climbing coach, doing all this stuff. And then was back into expeditions, went out to Uganda and 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 I'll just say women of a reasonably short period of time, you know, life just becomes easy. You know, you're doing the good stuff. I'm like, you know, I'm now 30, you know, 32, 33, I'm fit, you know, physically, muscularly you know, strong. Good cardiovascular fitness you know I've got everything I'm doing for myself is the right thing right and in a very short space of time I'm meeting good people right so i'm 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 listening to them good people and it you know anybody out there it's about the network you know the network your group of well friends or associates or your network you gotta you've gotta surround yourself with good people and that is the key to <clears throat> one of the keys to it. Anyway, in this gym, long story short, the um couple of guys used to come in and uh I like, you know, they were they were cool, they uh, I like the look of them, they're real they're always laughing and joking, good pants and all this kind of stuff, and uh and um <clears throat> they had a bit of work, so I was doing decent do work first. so I said, Yeah, anyway, it turns out they were in they were two one, right? They were um serving in two one and um They got to know me and they said, oh, like, you know, so you tell us about everything, it came out that I was in the army. So I said, well, why don't you have a go at this? And I thought, you know, I still had this massive self-doubt, this imposter, this kind of vulnerability, a bit of anxious. You know, I still had that because I was picking myself back up still and I thought, you know, surely if they could look inside me. And this is the thing. Nobody knows how you're feeling. Nobody knows, Right. So that is a positive in some ways because a lot of times I've been in situations after this, you know, difficult, real stressful situations. And as long as you don't flap, people look at you like you've got things under control and you're not just reacting to all the different stimulus, whether it's like buildings falling down around you on fire or, um, you know, whatever it might be like difficult situations if you are in that if you're grounded you're in that moment you're looking around and you're going right well, this is a plan this is what we're doing just do this first thing because you can't you don't know how the incident or the, is going to unravel you you just gotta you just got to do the first thing and then and do the next thing after that and, and respond not react like like that do you know what I mean so um do you think Do you think your
0: imposter syndrome comes from not feeling like a real pirate?
1: (laughs) Well, Chris, I'm a pirate, mate. You know, I'm well known for it. (laughs) You fucking are, mate. And listen, um, every year, every Christmas, you know, it comes around quick, right? Every Christmas. You know, blokes don't send. We don't send, stay in touch with guys, right? Me and you, we could be good mates, right? I wouldn't see you like for a year, and then I'll see you, and we're like cracking on, just like we we never left each other. We no 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 male friends I know send me any get well cards, any Christmas card, nothing Caution, nothing like that. They're every Christmas, free Christmas cards, right, for my pirates, my my crewmates, right, and it's <laughs> and it's always, always Always skull and crossbones. It's all like yo ho ho, bottle of brown ale, and uh, <laughs> long live Land ahoy. it's All this stuff, and uh you know that spirit do not leave you. But um, you know what I was saying, just to finish off on that thing, that people don't know how you're feeling, so they couldn't see any vulnerability or uncertainty in me. So they obviously saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself. And that's the same with anybody else out there. You have got massive potential, whatever it is. You might not realise it yet, but there's there, there's no limit to what you can achieve. And I know that for a fact because I'd ripped myself off at one point and then three years later, I eventually, you know, drum up the sort of uh, courage, if you like, to put my hat in the ring for this, this course right and the the first day you turn up there I mean I was having mild well I'll say mild I had to stop the car and get out do you know what I mean I was like fucking hyperventilating thinking you're just going to get seen off well you're not good enough for this all this sort of thing but the DS just said to us on day one he goes look you just got to train every day and just be here in the morning and that is it you just got to show up he goes passing this course is easy. You just got to show up, because people get it in their heads and they think, "Ah, oh, DS has seen this, or I've done this, I've made this mistake, or I've done that." I'm getting going to get seen off, and they just, or they think, you know, they're on their heels, and you never know when the march is going to end. You never know when anything's going to end. Well, you just get 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 uh, grid reference. You know, I did. You know, I found my first course. My nap wasn't good enough. You know, uh, I was in Elam Valley, which is the hell on earth. Anyone's been there. And um, I went back for second course. I was flying, um, you know, some of the marches that was doing really well until I got injured. You know, I got injured on day three on on test week. And uh, right at the last checkpoint, I inverted my ankle um, in a little stream. And... uh, I thought I was fine, uh, but I managed to get through it just taking just taking tablets. And um, that that last march you do, that endurance is for most people who get there. If you can get to that point without any yellow cards and without any injuries, you know is you'll get round that course. You know, it's sixty sixty ks with carrying eight pounds after back to back sort of marathons, if you like. But you'll do that last thing. But I couldn't even walk. I had to I had to crab sideways. I crabbed around fucking Brecon and sideways. You know, and um you know, there's there's a whole big story about that, and the finds found someone who broke their leg and all the rest of it. But I started off you start off at three in the morning. I started off in the first well, two of us set we're setting off in pairs. I started off first. Right, they put me first because obviously I've been slow the last on the last March because of my injury. Picked up a yellow card and um two two strikes and you're out for on, on that course. Like you can pick up one yellow on the on Ricochet and um I picked up a yellow card there, starting me off first. It's snowing, it's three in the morning. I'm crabbing up the side of this mountain, right? I'm on my own because the guy I was with, he just fucked off because I was too slow. And um, I got down. Eventually, everyone's passing me now. I get down to Windy Gap, and um, just on just on the slope um, down down to down to Windy Gap. Uh, Windy Gap. I passed somebody. I thought I caught someone up. I thought brilliant, you know, because this is what happens on the course. You, you you know what it's like. You 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 see someone, you think fucking happy days. I'm not last. I'm faster than him. You know, you get a bit of sort of energy from it. And I and I kind of hobbled past him. I was sort of building up a bit of speed now. I was kind of shuffling. And, you know, it's pitch black, it's snow, it's windy, and there's like six inches of snow on the ground. And the guy stood still, right? And he, and he sort of leant on his rifle. And um, I kind of went past him, like chucked that I'd gone past him, and then I was halfway down the slope towards when you got him, and I looked back, and he hadn't moved. I thought, fuck, you know? He's not moving. And uh, you know, you just couldn't just couldn't leave him. Do you know what I mean? So um I've uh I've dropped the bergen there, kept my rifle and I've, and I've hobbled back up to where he was and I'm shouting, and I'm trying to hear him, he goes, oh, I think I broke my leg. I thought, like, oh for fuck's sake. So. so now I'm carrying this guy down, hobbling down, hobbling down to to, to the Roman road bit. Um, when we got there and it t- takes me you know, 45 minutes put him in emergency sh- this is a drill right what do you mean to do is, is put him in a change of clothes put him in a sleeping bag um, put up a basher on the back of the bergen. get him in the basher right and, and I said look you know mate you're right I mean I know the guy you know it's, uh, it's another squadron but I knew him I guess you, you're all right. he goes yeah I'm good I thought look you're on the Roman road right loads of people have been passed obviously because i've been held up i've shouted tell the ds and the first checkpoints at the story arms tell the ds is to send a wagon up because you can get a land rover up to up to that point he's right on the roman road i goes you're all right he goes yeah he goes i'm good i'm good he goes you go i said "Right, right i'm off so i left because strictly speaking you're meant to stay with him right but that was my second course. I knew if I stay there, that's me. I'm, You know, I've, I've wrapped and um, that's, that's how it'd be seen. So I was happy. He was happy. So so kind of left him there. And I knew there was guys like half an hour ahead of me already had told the, the rescue team. But um, yeah, I mean, I ended up um, from being first. You get to the turnaround point. I'm now last. I'm last on that march. Right? And eventually I'm just... It, you know, you talk about, I've already hit my mental, I know, I know I've hit my mental limit, you know, from what we talked about earlier. I know I know where my, now I'm now at my physical limit. And, um, you know, I, I'm delirious because I'm popping these these pills, right, these, I think they're called something like DF118 or something. They're sort of like one-up form, well, they're one-under valium or something. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're prescription painkillers. I'm just I'm just munching them like smarties.
0: Yeah, they're uh, co- codeine, I think. Strong.
1: That's yes, it. Yeah. Strong,
0: strong form of well, fairly strong form of opiate.
1: Yeah, and um, yeah, and and I'm thinking, just keep moving, just keep moving, and and this is another thing that stayed with me. Just keep, you know, show up. Just keep moving. One step. Just keep taking one step. One step. And um I got to uh the checkpoint of fan four, right? <laughs> and uh I've not seen anyone for hours. Everyone's fucked off, you know, on on blast, right? And I get to fan four and the zip, the tint the tent uh zip opens up and the two DS come out and they like and you know when you look at someone looks at you and their face changes because you were in shit. I knew how bad it was. It's like before when I was ill, you know, I knew how bad I was because of people's reactions on their faces, you know. And they're looking at me and I'm like, he goes, you all right, mate? <laughs> I goes, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, you know, just bluffing it. He goes, right, oh, He goes, you sure? And I went, yeah, mate, yeah, I'm, I'm Well, not mate, but yeah, I'm good, I'm good stuff, you know, and uh, he goes, where are you? I knew I was a fan for, show him on a map. He goes, give me a next six grid reference. Where's that? It was um, Chapel Car Park, right? Yeah, yeah, I know that. Uh, no, it's Beacon's Rest, right? Beacon's Res, yeah, I know that. Couldn't think, you know, point, pointy corner of the compass on the, on the map, and uh, I sort of hobbled off, right? Because you, well, you just want to get away from the tent, hobble off. I'm and, and hobbling off. I, I just went off that mountain in the wrong, completely wrong direction. I was completely off my head. going down this mountain. And I thought, the same man, we just get out of the compass. And, I look, and you try and twist it that you're on the right bearing. And I'm literally 180, 180 degrees wrong. Get to, anyway, eventually traverse this thing, get down to the bottom of Beacon Res and uh, the the, um, the officer in charge of training me is there. And he goes, well, then, come over here. Like, come on. He goes, did you put that guy in the uh, bachelorette um, Windy Gap? I goes, yes, sir. He goes, how long did it take you? I goes, well, it's about 45 minutes. He goes, all right. He goes, I can give you another hour. He goes, you've got an hour on your time. He goes, well done for that. I goes, thank you, sir. And I was like really buoyed up inside. Do you know what I mean? Give me this. Because I was looking at my watch all the time thinking, I've got the time. I'm not going to make the time. Because I didn't think they can give me any time for the time I spent putting Guy and Basher. He goes, You've got another hour. And I think he could see me take a sort of a bit of relief. It's pitch black, sort of thing, but he's there's the lights of the full tunnel on that. And he goes, Yeah, but what? So he goes, pick can't move on. <laughs> anyway, um, I just set off and I made it. You know, I made it 20 minutes to 20 minutes to spare, and you knew. You go through all the fire, I'm hallucinating badly. You know, you're hallucinating. I fell asleep. Stood up like I just stood. I, I eventually caught two lads. I said, no, "I had to." I guess, and we started talking. I guess we got we got forty minutes to get back. We got to get to the RV, Like, and and I just stopped and fell asleep. Stood up like that and a fucking opened my eyes. Literally, must have been I don't know, few seconds, minute. I don't know. <laughs> I'm in pitch black, they're gone, you know, and I'm like, oh my God. Anyway, make it, you make it in. All you get is get on the back of the wagon, that's it. You've done the hardest thing, your physical thing in your life. It was for me, and everybody's experience is different, right? But I had an inverted um, ankle, and I'd set seen through, through, um through an infected blister on the, on my the, uh, left foot, on the left heel. I mean, that is the hardest thing physical thing i've ever done in my life and um but it was the thing i was going for you know to get in that i just had this mantra in my head the dss said on day one just keep showing up and this is anybody else that's all you've got to do in life is show up
0: at what point did you realize you passed
1: then well you know that you've passed because there's a full ton of it do you know what i mean
0: yeah
1: and um you then you then just get set of instructions you know to the next phase, but you know i i was in i was in real bad state you know after that i mean i was i was in a bad way but but um physically you know but um and it took me quite a while physically to get my physical fitness back up you know to build up that strength again but you do it on the course but yeah. I don't know why Chris but we got onto that tangible it was about it was about something in particular
0: but um, no it's it's brilliant the way it's brought us full circle back to back to selection um yeah. Nick I'm conscious of the time here it's not yeah, that, it's not it's not that I couldn't chat to you for hours it's just that the longer the podcast these days people just haven't got time to watch them like they did you
1: know, yeah. you're gonna
0: lot. have to cut out a few bits, mate. No, 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 no. I, I'm I'm gonna keep it all in. It's just been an absolutely incredible chat. Really enjoy it's also it's also been freaking hilarious, mate. <laughs> um <laughs> and also quite quite uh emotional as well. I think I think uh those people that have been there will know what I'm talking about.
1: Well, yeah, I mean it's um you know, these these things are difficult, mate. They do you know, there's a recognition that um there's work to do um, and you have to do that work. But um, the whole idea is that you do stuff in life that connects you to, to what is real, you know, what is real within yourself. You know, that thing that we talked about, you know, we're all on, you know, we're all on a different journey, to use a cliche. Um, you if, But if you can see that goodness in somebody else. And if you can connect with it in yourself, then, you know, that's, that's kind of what life's about. And that's the mm. idea about answering the call to adventure, because, you know, I've always had a real strong curiosity, you know, about life. I'm completely open to all sorts of um, all sorts of things, you know, spiritual, whatever it might be. know i'm open to it you know because nobody can prove it otherwise you know what i mean and um i can
0: prove it good no i'm being serious like the spiritual thing is a funny thing for people because we've all been so brainwashed and indoctrinated and lied to the biggest thing is the lot being lied to yeah people don't understand what spirituality is um, people don't understand what the scriptures are. They think, oh, that's like the Bible in it. It's about like religion. And I hated that when I was a kid. So sure. screw what yeah, they yeah. don't understand is spirituality is simply about your body's biochemical mechanism. And that if you live in a certain way, for example, knock the substances on the head, you will feel differently in yourself because your chemicals are different. And when you ramp that right up through things like diet, meditation, good relationships, smiling, turning every negative into a positive, not being a do merchant, da, 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 what happens is you 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 flood your body with the happy chemicals, serotonin and DMT hence the biblical reference, the land of milk and honey be, being oh, being paradise. Um, yeah, well, for
1: me, and, and that is, yeah. Sorry,
0: just, just to finish, Nick, Go so people get what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. That is spirituality, folks. That is why old geezers like me do the things I do, jump in a plunge pool every morning, jog around the block. It's not because I'm some sort of Peter Perfect. It's that that is the... Sp- you know, and the sad, the 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 sad thing is, Nick. Well, it's not kind of sad, but it's all encoded. It's encoded in the scriptures, and you need a dictionary to understand what these stories about, like blokes walking on water and women having babies outside, and people fighting lions. You know, all these weird stories that really sound pretty like stupid for the gullible are actually no, it's code for your body's um um al- alchemy alchemy is the word i'm looking for the secret code so y- y- you you said it mate you know it's it is provable um everybody has it in them uh, the capacity to enter paradise the irony is, is all the answers are inside although i will say i think life experiences can you know also usher, usher you there but um great Nick can we talk about Trident now just because um
1: yeah definitely yeah I'd like to um
0: but just very quickly did you serve on active service as a as a with one?
1: yeah I was in um, Afghanistan
0: and uh, was that pretty hot
1: yeah, summer, mate, it's fucking fifty degrees. <laughs> Listen, I I went there, you know, my wife six months pregnant. right? and yeah. um we we went there sort of relieved. We relieved to too and um yeah, it wasn't a kinetic tour, there was a few rocket attacks and things like that, but um you know, essentially we we're in their very early days, you know, it really started kicking off in Afghan, sort of oh six, oh seven down in Helmand. But we, we were there on a on a, on a sort of operation to establish a footing in that country to see who we could work with, what basis we could operate out of. Um, and, you know, we're out in the eastern provinces. And um, back in, say, in the 80s, in the 90s, you know, you had the territorial army, you know, and it probably will not that too far you know, not speaking for everyone or every unit, but it probably went too far in some examples from dad's army. But from the year 2000 onwards, you know, it's now the Army Reserve. It's not an easy ride being a, being a reservist. And for a number of reasons, when you come back from an operational deployment, obviously you're at a lower temp, you're at a lower sort of um tempo skill set to to your regular component, right? So you have to do, I mean we did a very arduous four month kind of build-up before we deployed, right? And um that's that was all led by um you know um uh, Hereford and stuff and um we we were trained really well and um you got you're then you're then up to a standard that you can then operate and can conduct that that mission. But when you when you as a reservist, the thing, the difference, one of the differences with the regular army is that if you deploy as a squadron or a regiment, you come back together, like, right, Generally, you come back together, you go back to the block, you get a decompression, which they've got better at. It didn't used to be much of a decompression. It would be, I think, blokes used to get taken the Cyprus and uh, to open the door to a camp, give them a few beers, lock the Lots the gate and let them, you know, beat hell out of each other. But you know, for me, I come, I came back. Um, well, I came back essentially because my wife gone into labour, and I managed to jack up uh, through my own initiative a jack up a flight with a, an American C uh, C seventeen back to back to Prize. Now. You can you come back from you know one minute I'm out in the desert you know you're driving around, you've got bar mine under your seat you got you know Minami on the back seat you've got pistol under your leg you got a DeMarco uh, stuck in the uh, stuck down by the side you got grenades on the front dash you know in some ways it's harder not having a contact it's because you're always expecting it and there's no release do you know what I mean so there's never mm. a release. Plus the fact I had the fact that I knew my wife was going into into uh, labour or was pregnant in my first child, and um, in some ways that kind of pressure can be can be as challenging, you know. And um, but you you come back from there as a reservist from the deployment, you know. Within I I flew back in eight hours. You know, I'm back at home. You know, later that day, you you know uh, you're sticking the bins out. You know, it's like it takes an adjustment, and and this is a thing that is often disregarded with reserve soldiers, which I think is worthy of a mention. You've all got to go back to work as well. Yeah, I'm in the fire service at that point, but um, we we were we were off off. Uh, we had a twelve month contract. In fact some of the guys just stayed on the contract but um and then and then subsequently um served in with two uh, two or or um bsb sbs and um but i had a career in the fire service had a young family you know i'm now um 37 um so you know i've done what essentially I, I sort of signed up to do you know i was. I was fortunate as one of the few to to get badged and I wanted to deploy and do that and do my job and go on to do other things. So, you know, I made the best out of it. It was a great experience, but it doesn't define who I am. It's just it's just an experience. You know, it's um, something to look back on. And um, if you want to look back, I don't go to any many reunions very occasionally. You know, I worked with a mate, Nick Grange, who, who you've also spoken to at Elite Outdoor Fitness. You know, when we started Trident, um, well, sorry, when I started Trident, we we, um, we kind of teamed up together. And the idea was to go back to the Arctic because I, I was fortunate. I spent um, spent a long time with the Swedish Special Forces. I did their winter Arctic survival course. And it was, but you've done Norway. I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved that environment. It was just like the drills were brilliant. Do you know what I mean, you? the drills are, well, you can adapt the drills you learn there into any environment. But, you know, you're ski marching for an hour. You stop at an hour. You step off the track. The patrol comes through you. You go back onto the back of the patrol. You sit on your Bergen. You get hot juice out. You take some food. You eat that. You put that away. You take your warm hat and your warm coat off you stow that away you're back on the march right every four hours you do a long hole you you loop track you 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 know effectively if it was a you know exercise to be putting claymores out you dig a pit you get in that pit you get a brew on you get hot food hot you know get a hot scoff down you, and I just loved that. I loved that routine. I love um I loved everything about the environment in the Arctic. It's absolutely stunning. It's just like, you know, that peace and tranquility. And you know, we we started well, I started Trident, linked up with Nick uh, from Elite Outdoor Fitness and um he he sort of provided a lot of the guys and these these people were sort of um all ages, but they're ultra sort of athletes you know done marathon design all things like this and they wanted another challenge that you it's hard to find really it's hard to find that sort of challenge because we on day one we put people under the ice you know that's what that's the right passage you're up in the Arctic you've got to know how to get out of the ice how to get dressed get a fire going um self-rescue and um we do that on the first day you know um then we get when we, we bump ski tour, we go hut to hut, you're you're um, you're drawing water out the out of the lake, you're eating by candlelight in these huts, you're chopping wood, you're having conversations. And all of those distractions that we've talked about, because uh, there's load of different distractions, the phones, all that kind of stuff, all that noise just emps away and you're left with that pure essence, you know, and, uh, you have real meaningful conversations, you know, you don't have to get deep, you know, it's fun. It's sort of, you know, it's all that kind of stuff, but, you know, you meet travelers, you're helping them in, you know, you're, oh, this is, this is the routine in this hut. This is what, you you know, you help them in out the storm. What if it's, you know, like that, you know, help getting their boots off, you give them a brew, a hot juice, and, uh you know, you really get to see the strength and the unity in people. And this is this is kind of what adventure teaches us. You've got to answer that call to adventure because everybody has it within them. They have that curiosity. They might think, Oh, I don't do this. We well, have to find it in different ways. You know, it might be, well, I don't know, maybe arts or thing, but you know in the main in the main you've got to go on a journey certainly blokes have to, got to go on a journey and um you know this call to adventure you've got to listen to because it will you know um it will show you through the power of the wilderness the beauty in nature and the relationships it will show you what actually life is all about and mm-hmm. You get to listen that voice inside you, which is, you know, the philosophers would talk about. We the Vedic philosophers they talk about we put covers on ourselves, you know. So we get born as this kind of this. If you think that journey, that pure essence, and um, you know, if you think how amazing it is just to be born right here, you know, um, if you go back twenty generations, right? I heard this the other day. Twenty generations. It's a there had to there's a million people that had to meet for you to be here right now, you know, to have a relationship, to have to start a family. It's if you scale it up to all the way up, it goes it's like a million people who had to meet and have a relationship for you to be here right now. And um like I'm a, I'm open to all this, you know, philosophy does open the door up in, in your in the way that you consider things and nature it just allowed those covers to be stripped away and to reveal what is, you know, for me, like, as me and Nick used to joke about oneness, you know. I mean, me and Nick were in Afghan together. He's a good mate. And I'll tell you how good a mate he is. He, When, when I was uh, towards the end of uh, the tour, when my wife was, um, you know, nearly given birth, we, we were given one minute of sat phone. A, a week to use so you could call home right now the lads in the location i was in we we're in a, in a remote place uh based on the east uh provinces in a, in a patrol base they gave me their minutes right so they're giving up their family time you know so i could phone up and check on my check on my wife and
0: they probably um, didn't want to get an ear bashing mate
1: ah! <laughs> oh mate, I'm glad you pulled me out of that because you know something that one it's like
0: No, it's not uh, uh, it's, um, know,
1: people do do anything for you. Yeah, yeah you know,
0: that that's stand up mm-hmm. stuff.
1: And this of is what, what Trident's about, mate, in answer to your question. It's um it's getting people to do things they couldn't do by themselves. I mean, we do kind of vet people in some ways that they say, I want to come to the Arctic, so maybe you want to go to Morocco first build up your resilience and stuff. But we do an introductory discovery trip now into the Arctic. So it's not as arduous. You do it on snowshoes. You know, and I've started to work with people coming out of addictions, with mental health issues. And I'm really obviously from part of my own story, I've got a, a strong loyalty towards that. I'd love to work with other people, um looking at working with Ephraim um, from Strong Strong Men and um, taking a group out there. And, you know, for me, it's about the people you're with, the work you're doing. I'm not motivated financially. Um, I'm quite fortunate, I guess, now. And, um, you know, just to carry on that journey. And mm. we get people to do stuff they couldn't do by themselves. We get them to connect um, with each other, with themselves, you know, in a subtle way, not like, oh, sit around a candle and stare at that instead. You know, we have a good time, and um, people need it. You know, they need it after this nonsense we've been through over the last three years. They need to. I think a lot of people it's shone a light on. I wasn't, before, Chris. No, I wasn't going go to. I'm going to start it, No, no, nah, 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 no, mate. I wasn't. I wasn't
0: going to mention it simply because I don't want it to sound like a moan. But, no,
1: don't. You know, me.
0: you, you but, know, I, ra- uh, you know, I ran the marathon Sables recently. Yeah. The the thing lacking for me on that experience was like everyone was asleep. I found it interesting. I, I wasn't disappointed because I draw my 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 strength from the universe and and obviously my it beautiful is. family. So I, yeah. it's not like I give a shit. I found it really sad that people on such a incredible adventure that really takes some balls to and and a few quid, you know, to get an investment is what I meant. Yeah. They were so brainwashed and so closed off to true knowledge. You know, gnosis, isn't it? Gnosis, know thyself.
1: We've talked about a few, well, a couple of things. I've been in some of the worst situations and the worst places on the planet at the worst time, but with great people, fantastic people, you know, even people, civilians, not just in the military, not just in the fire service, people on the... You know serious uh, road trip as it was known um roger graham you know a number of others they're they're solid decent people connect with them they give everything you know for mm. for, for, the, for the mission or for you or whatever and um and the point is you know i've been in those situations but if you're with good people it doesn't matter none of that matters and conversely I've been in. I've been in some. I've been in the best places, like you'd think of when you look at that map. You know, South of Venezuela. I took a team out there. Me, they were dysfunctional. They just didn't get it. You know, um, these. This. This wasn't with Trident. This was. I was leading for another company, and um, you know, there's no connection there. You know, I took it. a and took another group to Borneo. It's very similar, and. Um, They were were just looking, oh, isn't the jungle wonderful? I said, that's not the jungle, they're plantations. You know, look at the straight lines. You know, you're looking, but you're not seeing. And that is an analogy for that sticks with people all their life. You know, and I think some people go to the grave, they they Mm -hmm. don't really know themselves. You know, this is where the curiosity comes in, Chris. This sense of adventure, this, this call you've got to answer. And... In some ways, we provide that because people that come to us now, they're you know we've had you know uh, young girls, we've had uh, you know more mature women, older guys. You know some of them have gone through their own issues, right? They've they've battled through issues, and you know I think there's real there's real wisdom and knowledge in somebody in these people. You know, there's uh, an old mate of mine. He was, he was you know, he was, a, he was a nightmare at school. Uh, little John. He's, um, you know, he skinhead, tattooed, heroin injected, you, know, inject, you know, addicted to heroin. He was a nightmare, right? He's been 30 years clean sober, right? And that guy is a ray of light. You know, he goes into prisons. He's he's trying to get people onto a different path. Now, you know, the point is that there is a choice. You can make a choice. Listen, connect with that, that true voice inside of you. You know, not all the other noise. Don't compare yourself to social media. Don't listen to the news. Don't do all this stuff. Just go out in nature. Find good company and, um, you know, keep life simple, look for unity, don't look for di- you know, the diversity in people I don't see any diversity in people I just see unity, okay, some people on different wavelengths, I go, fair enough you know, we're not in the same we're not in the same wavelength that's fine, you know, but I don't get frustrated about that anymore, I just see the, see what is true in it and, um, you know, like I say now we're seeing people come not just to the Arctic we take, I've taken in in uh last our last trip to Morocco, which is in May, I worked with um a guy called Sober Dave, Dave Wilson, is a good fella. And um we bought a group of people that have all, you know, potentially come out of addiction or changed their relationship with alcohol, and uh we summit Mount Tukal with them. You know, it's an emotional experience, a life-changing experience for them. You know, for me that is the reward, you know, and um that's it was the- uh mate, it was hot in
0: Morocco in May, was it not?
1: It was quite warm, but they'd had the biggest snowfall in thirty years, so you know we we still we had a bit of a tricky there's still snow in the gullies, mm. there's snow on top. I've got some great pictures I can show you, but it's um Morocco is doable. Mount Tubkar, four thousand two hundred metres. Um it is doable. Got yeah. This is the um, the
0: the Atlas Mountain Range. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. you know, I've been really fortunate, Chris. You know, in my, in my travels, in in my work in life, I spent a lot of time with indigenous tribes, or and I've learned their knowledge. You know, I've uh, what I've seen their wisdom. You know, I've seen their wisdom, and I've tr- and I've um, and I and I can. I know that, you know, in terms of the simplicity, the things that can make you contented, uh, things uh, what are important in life, you know, and, um, you know, and the, the Berber people in Morocco are fantastic, you know, for them water is life, right. And this village where we where we go to, there's one guy, right, his job is, all the village they got together and they, there's one stream up in a mountain, right. And they dug a channel all the way into the village, and then they've all created little um, terraces to grow their crops, right? And this guy's job, I don't know what he does, he picks up a rock, right? And he walks up to the top of the stream and he puts a rock in as a dam. And he gives that terrace 30, 30 minutes, whatever it is, to feed all them crops, right? And then he comes back and he picks that rock up and he puts it down and he works his way down that channel so that everybody in the village gets the water, gets an equal share because water is life. And you know, there's so much we can learn from the Muslim culture. There's so much. They are so humble, um, those people in the mountain. Well mountain people all over the world. Yeah. Um when they do their their um fasting at, at Ramadan, you know, I've worked with guides there in the summer I've taken groups in the summer, it's 40 degrees. They wouldn't take any water all day, no food no water you know you're you're guzzling well we used to use plastic bottles now we use um, uh, water filter for water water to go if anyone's used them it's like a water filter you can put it in any stream you know it kills all bugs and we're guzzling guzzling water these guys are not not even putting their headscarf into the water and putting on their heads they're not even touching their lips chris right and you walk all day in the mountains you you know hard work, and they won't take any any time anything until it's time to break the fast, right? Which is like eight o'clock or whatever at night. And I what? And I'm with them. I'm with them people, and I'm watching them, right? And a tray of food comes round, right? Now, what would we be like? We'd be like fucking grabbing it because you grab it, you know, grab it. Everybody just wants their bit, sort of thing, you know. I'm hanging out for food and fluids, right? But do you know what they don't do that? The, the guy puts the tray down. Somebody picks it up and he offers it to his neighbour. We
0: picked some up in, someone up in Mozambique, or we was in a chapeau, you know, a pickup truck, and this couple hopped in. One of them was really bad with the malaria. The woman, the mother, the woman, when her husband give a got like a a pan out of a uh, bread. First thing she did was rip it off and give after me, you know, and the other thing like we have a rule in this family. You don't play with food, you know? Yeah. You don't play with food. You either eat it or you put it back in the fridge. Um, Again, comes, comes from uh, Islamic culture where you respect food because you never know when you're going to get it again. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't give a shout out to the courses that Trident do. So, and and folks, obviously we're going to put a link for Trident below as well as Nick's social media
1: yeah sure yeah it would be welcome you know um we uh obviously we go to the Arctic so northern Sweden uh we cross into Norway and that is we've got two trips there we got Arctic Warrior and Arctic Discovery so Arctic Warrior is is arduous ski tour carrying all your kit you know up to 20 well hopefully a bit low 20 kilos hut to hut uh, six days back to back right and, and you know some long days so eight hours nine hours it's it's an immense experience we go we go to visit an old SOE base right so that's that's one the entry level to that yeah yeah put, okay, put
0: me down for that definitely yeah.
1: well as part of the Everest training mate I think it's, uh, it's would be necessary Um, Arctic Discovery and, the, and all our trips are like mainly a week long so that you know, busy people only have to take five days out of uh, the work or family, right? And um, Arctic Discovery is is, a, is basically similar to Arctic Warrior, but it's an entry level. And we're based in the same area in the Pisco National Park. And we just go out to a hut. You can snowshoe. If you can ski, you can ski. But we just spend a couple of nights in a hut. We have more of a, a, a slow, a gradual ramp in terms of skill acquisition, right? That's that's the point. So it's at a slower pace, right? Uh, obviously, we do Mount Tukar. We do in Morocco, Marrakesh. We do a number of trips in, in Morocco. Uh, we do uh, Pyrenees. Uh, we follow a Second World War skate route from Biarritz into San Sebastian. And that is really a long weekend. That's four nights. And we do all of the trips the sort of the constant theme months to our, our trips really is about sort of authentic um, original trip. So we don't really want to go up main valleys if we can avoid it. We go different routes and like in terms of that World War II route, we do what they did. you know we go through the safe houses, we do a night river crossing, we sleep um, sleep in the trees or under the trees, put a basher up. And um, um, you know, then we have uh, a celebration in in um, San Sebastian afterwards. In some of the best food in in the world, actually in San Sebastian, it's a fantastic little short trip. And uh, we're off to Nepal, as you know. So we're going to do Annapurna Circuit again. A lot of the guys from um, or some of the guys from uh, Morocco, with uh, Dave Wilson, they're coming out. Um, and that's to do Annapurna Circuit, so that's a longer trip, right? So anything to Nepal is 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 like you need at least 16, 17 days with, which includes flying because uh, of the time difference in the time zones you're crossing. And um, you know we do we also do tactical breaks uh, in the UK, so we're working with uh, corporate. Uh, companies I'm doing one for John Lewis in uh, in September up in Leicester and again that's that's about that's still about the same theme it's about connection and uh, getting out to nature and getting teams working together well um, so it's not kind of building towers out of balloons or whatever it's um, it's hands-on feet in the dirt you know uh, we you know because what we, what we appreciate is that if you start using words like uh wellness meditation mindfulness to well to blokes especially but in in some corporate environments because of, you know there's still a lot of stigma around that and mental health that um you know you lose the audience so so I've sort of adapted it into more of a a special kind of uh Arrangement where we use different language, situational awareness, and uh, things like that, and uh, tactical pauses. So these tactical breaks are for for corporate entities, individuals, or people who want to change behaviours. You know, so people coming out of um, negative behaviours, addictions, things like that. And um, you know, we're keen to work with anybody that's working in that environment as well. We're we're obviously aligned in that mission that. You know, people can achieve anything, that they've got a choice in life that they can connect and that you can find that within themselves, that answer within themselves to change their life and to live a real contented life. And the point of that is to be the man that you are meant to be or the person, the human that you are meant to be. Because I feel that we all sign a contract to come on this earth. And the work is to find out what that your mission is and to to fulfill that contract and uh be be contribute to society and be um be a good um be a good parent, be a good father, be a good mother, you know, and um just live that example mm-hmm. for your family and, and let's break some of these cycles that are going on, you know.
0: Uh please look after yourself, mate. Good luck with Trident. Um And thank you for coming on the show. Friends, I hope you've enjoyed this as as much as I have. Um, If you could like and subscribe, really appreciate it. Please support the Patreon, folks. It's $1.99 a month. That's like half the price of a cup of coffee or something, isn't it? You know, and it just helps us to bring you these these life-changing stories. Much love. See you soon.
1: Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the
0: T-Shirt Podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.